Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Recorded live. So, I see I've been joined by the one, the only, Sir James of Coburn. How are you doing, Jim? Pretty good, pretty good. So, everyone said when the season began, we got off this amazing start and, you know, we'll, we'll never be able to touch it. It's unsustainable. It, it was too good. And the rest of the season will just pale by comparison. We'll wail, we'll moan, we'll gnash our teeth. Well, I'm going to, I guess, start my vaulting of me by saying this is going to continue. And frankly, I guess this is not really going out of much of a limp. But this will be a season filled with Harris breath escapes, near destruction, team snatching victory from the jaws of defeat, team snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And I think to some extent it goes back to what I said as in our preseason show about the, the gap narrowing. There are some one or two truly, maybe even three, truly elite teams at most. And then there's a bunch of good teams, probably 30-some-odd really you know, good to very good teams, teams that can beat all, each other you know, pretty much interchangeably if they play well. And then there's some, you know, 50 or so, like always, 50 average teams. There's always going to be 50 average teams. That's how you get to the average. And then there's going to be 40 or so truly bad teams. Very bad. Bad, bad, bad. Teams that can occasionally beat each other because the other team is bad too. And can even occasionally beat a good team if everything goes right. But they rarely will beat them because bad teams usually find a way to lose. That's part of what makes them bad. The other thing that I think will emerge as a trend, you have cited the edge safety, and I do believe, Jim, that we're just maybe a year or so from that really taking off. I think by this time next year, you'll see some draft publications beginning to, to rank their edge safety class. But some of the teams that have isolated, have identified the edge safety and figured out how to attack them, will have enough success that some teams will change their approach to the position and either go with guys who truly are, you know, freak athletes or good enough athletes that it almost doesn't, it doesn't matter. That's not the term I want to use. It does matter if you're not quite the right size, but are able to overcome their lack of ballast, heft, uh, thickness, whatever you want to call it, by being, you know, truly superior athletes which not all of them are. I mean, that's one of my issue with the edge safety oh. is there's this assumption just because they're small that they're really great athletes that I'm sure you will go into debunk mode on that in a moment. And then my last initial vault me in sort of the opening salvo. So every year, um, it's now an, an annual tradition, whoever the presumptive number one quarterback is, will at some point uh, be destroyed before our very eyes uh, in a ritual fashion. and his replacement will be sought. So sometime in the next three or four weeks, that destruction will begin. And God forbid he have a multi-interception game during a primetime, you know, much-watched night game, and then uh, they will feast on his carcass. And uh, like 
Burning Man or whatever. He will be richly sacrificed so that something new can arise from his ashes. And we'll talk a little bit about who that might be. There's already people lining up. I mean, I was shocked at how quickly, because I've been talking about Mr. Bisky since last year, but I thought it would take a while before. I mean, good Lord. The, the cycles continue as they always do, but they seem to be accelerated. The Mr. Bisky hype trade took off like crazy and then, of course, ran off the rails soon afterwards, but mostly due to inclement weather. But still, I was shocked at how quickly people said, I've got him in my top five. Well, I've got him in my top three. You know, like it's, it's almost competitive. And I like Mr. Trubisky, but I don't have him in my top five or my top three. He's too new. I mean, I like him, but he has no business declaring this year, and I hope he doesn't. And like I said, I'm as big a fan of his as there is, but I, I don't see him as being anything close to ready. But others will be proffered as replacements for whoever the presumptive number one is. And, of course, that's even a hotly debated and contested thing. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, so, Jim Coburn, um, in your opening salvo, what three things would you like to be put away in the draft Twitter, draft talk, draft radio, draft cognoscency uh, vault to be later dusted off either uh, to the popping of bottles and approbation of your friends and colleagues or, of course, the uh, tell things with rotten fruit and derision of your friends and colleagues? To be able to what happened. Huh. Well, I think the first thing I'll say is that the best offensive tackles reside in the Mountain West Conference, Woo! not the Power Five conferences. And I'm going to get lots of flack, but I just I don't know <laughs> what I. It's the tape. The tape don't lie. So. Or maybe it does, but I've seen a lot better offensive tackles in the Mountain West Conference than I have in the other conferences. And it's not that the other conferences don't have good offensive tackles. It's just they're limited and, like, they can do this thing, but they can't do that thing. So it's it's like a whole thing. Um, so it's, it's just is what it is. Uh, the second part of the uh, discussion is that like you said, I know I might be picking back on this, but the, the, the term edge safety will probably become something different because, I don't know, I just have issues marketing it, I guess. You know, people don't want to latch on to the term. But uh, that that proliferation is everywhere in college football. It's just nobody's put it on a – you know, they haven't given it a name yet. And as a result, people are so confused as to what it is um, and and what it can be. So – I would say that's definitely something where I think eventually we'll get to the point where we where we just have it as its own position. Uh, the NFL will eventually have to get to that point anyways because of the way that football is played right now. So, but I think that that will whatever that position is called, money backer, whatever you want to call. It. I mean, money backer. Come on, what is this a hip hop? Yeah, that's Edge not safety. so good. Yeah, I'm I, I, I not buying the money backer. I mean, heck, I, I'm half-kiddingly pointing out the Dion backer because everyone wants to compare every single one of them to Dion Buchanan, even if some of them bear literally but, no resemblance to Dion Buchanan, except but that most of them are black and play football. Legit, he was a legit safety. Like, what is this? <laughs> he was a safety. Like, I don't – And I a really, really, really good one. Like, somehow that's been forgotten. I just think people don't know what a really good safety looks like. I think that's the problem, Bill. <laughs> all they have is 
I mean, and that that is true among college football in that it's become a thing where either you are a in-the-box safety or you're a single high safety. You do one thing and you hang out there and, you know, you're a bear trap safety, which is another thing I'm going to start to point. But, you know, you, <laughs> that is all you are. And and the thing is, is like the great safeties, they did everything. You don't think Troy Polamalo yep. was lining up pretty much everywhere. You don't oh. think – you know, I'm all so these sorry other... you can get to see Kenny Houston in his prime. Oh, my. Kenny Houston was basically the Mel Blunt of safeties, Jim. He was a magnificent athlete and built like a little linebacker, but he could cover anybody. When, I mean, and please, this is no offense to any of the um, uh, the corners he played with, but his, despite being probably 200 and, I don't know, 15, 20 pounds, I mean, that, Obviously, um, you know, I don't have any combine data or anything, but I know what he looks like. I watched him play my entire, you know, young, you know, youth growing up. And he started his career with the Oilers and then joined the, quote, unquote, over-the-hill gang with, uh, you know, all those other castaways that found their way uh, to Washington to play for George Allen. He brought a bunch of his old Rams there, including Coy Bacon and, uh, Dyron Talbert came over from the Bills. Bill Brundage, I think, also had been a Bill. Uh, like I said, uh, the Oilers gave them – I mean, Kenny Houston was one of the great safeties of all time. And unfortunately, um, you know, people here – most people around here are too young to remember even his name. But he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, look him up. But big, strong, fast, smart, had good feet and hips to make plays on the ball. I mean, now, a different kind of – Safety was Larry Wilson, who was undersized. I mean, for that era, even he was listed at sixteen hundred and seventy pounds. And I think, according to his own, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, recounting, he never was more than one hundred seventy-two pounds, and was just probably more like five eleven and you know five eight, whatever. But he was a devastating tackler. I mean, you couldn't hit people like that anymore. You can't. I mean, he'd be he'd go to jail. But 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 was still a terrific deep coverage guy. Terrific against the run. In fact, was drafted as a running back, believe it or not. Uh, was a very much undersized running back. The team that drafted him was like, well, yeah, you're – look, teams in those days didn't actually know big guys were very often. Um, so they brought him and like, oh, my God, you're tiny. You can't play running back. So they basically had him on what we called the taxi squad in those days for a year. He played special teams, and they would have him inactive, then active. And then I think it was injury. Something happened, and they ended up putting him back in safety, and he was just – like he was chicken feel like a duck to water. I mean, he played it in high school, but in college he'd been a receiver on a running back. And then once Larry Wilson went to playing safety, I mean, it was like, you know, the choir of angels began singing. I, I, what I didn't realize is I grew up in what was, I guess, the golden age of safety play. <laughs> and I didn't realize at the time, but Donnie Shell and Jack Tatum. And, I mean, everywhere I looked, every team had at least a good safety. Like, there was a single team I think of that didn't have a good safety when I was growing up. And some of them, I mean, Jake Scott. If Jake Scott were in the league now, people would be talking about how he would be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's not in the Hall of Fame because he was overshadowed by all the great safeties of his era. Um, and as uh, Steve always points out, the Cowboys had two guys that could arguably, you know, be included in the Hall of Fame for, for their ability to play safety in Cliff Harris and um, – um, Oh, my gosh. Uh, I can see him in my 43 and uh, Waters, Charlie Waters. Charlie Waters and, and Cliff Harris, 
or a terrific safety tandem. And once again, if these guys are playing now, people will be going crazy about you know, all the things they can do. They're interchangeable, which is they were. Um, that was one of the first times I can remember of truly interchangeable safety. Either one could line up on either side, and they could cover slots. Well, that's much. I mean, slots weren't a big deal. They cover tight end really more more matters and running back. Though uh, people often remember poor uh, Charlie Waters getting his behind handed to himself in Super Bowl ten, and of course, being a Steelers fan, I remember it with glee. But he was playing out of position. Um, they ended up playing him at corner in that game. I can't remember now. I know it was injuries. Something happened, and they ended up having to play him at corner, and he just got. You know, I mean, Lynn Swan, when he was doing, you know, basically the originate, the first Eldale Beckham is really what Lynn Swan was, but he didn't throw the ball like, you know, like, you know, so he doesn't have anything like those numbers, so he's 336 career receptions, but he just went nuts on, um, well, I think nuts. I think he was only at three receptions, but I think every single one of them was over 40 yards, including a, one of the most, I mean, people talk about Eldale Beckham's catch, but watch that last touchdown where he, gets stepped on, um, you know, right as the ball is coming down, and essentially hovers in the air because he can't run anymore. He's been tripped up. I mean, his body control, (laughs) the things he could do, and sort of skims along. I I still don't know what's powering him because his feet are off the ground. You know, watch your bolt change, you'll see the touchdown I'm talking about. And he sort of, I guess, kicks in his retro rockets. I don't know what the hell powering him, but he glides along the surface of the earth, I guess, magnets, I don't know, whatever, like not quite landing until the ball lands in his hands and he, you know, like kind of skids, rolls into the end zone. But I think he only had three catches, but it was, I think it was total for like 160-something yards and two touchdowns. But, I mean, he was ungodly good on, you know, very little use. But, I mean, despite that, he was really good safety, uh, who unfortunately was forced at times in his career to play corner, and he was like a, you know, low 4'8 guy. So that's not a good look for him. But, I mean, when I was just looking around the league at that time period, the safety safety's everywhere. Paul Krause Hall of Fame. I mean, without thinking hard, there must have been six or seven Hall of Fame-level safeties in the league when I started watching football, Jim. That's amazing now. Like, because you – I was talking, you know, sort of out loud, and then I started tweeting it out. Like, can you name three safeties in the league now that you truly believe are headed for the Hall of Fame? And some people throw out some names there, and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, huh. Because even though I, mean, I like Earl Thomas, he's a little, I mean, he's, you know, he's right. teetering. It's a 50-50 deal, right? I mean, I'll give Earl maybe 40-60, but I'll give him 50-50 just, right, you know, because, he's, you know, he's Earl Thomas. And he's a guy that can do a lot of this. He said a little bit of everything. He do a lot of the every. He's you know, you'd like him to be bigger if he if you could arrange it. But still, he he can come down the box, and he's not you know like I said built and, for it really, but he can do it. And Weddle, Weddle, and only in the sense that he's white, so that hurts him. That dings him right there. <laughs> but I mean, people really just don't because he played at San Diego. People really don't understand how good Weddle was. I mean, he's he's totally different now. I mean, I know he's still playing well, but he's not quite. It's just he's not quite the same guy that he was tearing it up at you know Utah and then going to San Diego. He was he was the best safety in football for about a four year period, Jeff. 
And I don't even think it's really disputable. But that doesn't necessarily make him a Hall of Famer, though. That's the, that's no. the thing. Which is why no. people don't understand the Hall of Fame process, or they don't understand that why you shouldn't draft six edge people in every single first round, because there may not be six first-round edge people. You know, so, I don't know. But, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just strange the way safeties have become this throwaway. It's become too specialized, at least to me. I don't know. Because when you, when you have more positions in your backfield now, you start to spread the love out, and that isn't always the best thing to do, I guess. I don't know. Well, here's the thing that, that, that I find interesting. The position is more important than ever before. I mean, it was always an important position, but it is vitally important. If your safety play is bad, I mean, it, you can get away with it for a little while sometimes, but it catches up with you. You, you don't get away with it for long. You know, it's going to catch up with you. You will pay. If your safety play is bad, at some point you will have a moment where you're like, oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Right. That Yeah, we probably should have done more to bolster our safety position. Like, it's no, to me, it's no shocker that the four or five best defenses are also the teams that tend to have, I mean, if not great safeties, then at least reputable. I mean, you know, like uh, safeties that are consistent. They may not be world beaters, and some of them are, are, are above average. But, I mean, the Cardinals obviously aren't where they were, but they've got, you know, real talent and depth position. And obviously if they – Well, they have the best set of safeties in the country. I mean, yes, the, yes, they do. the Cardinals at one point <laughs> had nothing but safety. <laughs> like, it was a situation <laughs> They can line up with an all-safety defense. <laughs> exactly. Because, I mean, you got Tyron Matthew and you had Dio Buchanan and Tony Jefferson's finally getting love, you know, because right. he, he was always kind of an underrated guy. So, yep. and then even Rashad Johnson, who, you know, yep. is, yeah, he's not terrible. I mean, he's, he's good. He's a good player. That's, you know, he's not terrible. He's not bad. So, I mean, they, they had basically a four safety defense with two cornerbacks, you know. Well, a four safety defense with, a really good cornerback and a yeah cornerback. So there was always that sort of thing. But um I mean yeah, they they were hogging I guess they were hogging the wealth, at least to me. You know, they were like, yeah. No, we don't want anybody else to get safety. We gotta we gotta draft them all, you know. Yeah. Good point. And frankly, I think that's a brilliant way when you think about what football looks like now, obviously at some point you have to have line play and things like that, and they've invested in their line. And linebacker play, which at some point we should address as well, is, is in a bit of a slightly different kind of crisis. But teams with bad safety play, I mean, it, one is it to me it sticks out like a sore thumb. It just yells at you. It just it presents itself. I mean, somebody mentioned they have Malcolm Jenkins, Jen, as a potential Hall of Famer, and I, I didn't want what? to. I don't right. right Why? I, I just <laughs> now you feel my pain, right? So I went here. I am, you know, as a small child, thinking that great safety play is the natural order of things. And now when I hear people throw out names as you know people they think are possible Hall of Famers, I want to say to them, do you do you realize <laughs> that like what Steve Atwater is not in the Hall of Fame, and he he is so many times more. Uh, of everything, 
than than the names you're throwing at me. Uh, Jack Tatum, and obviously these guys played, you know, in a way. I mean, I think the style of play has changed, right? You can't just go around knocking the bejesus out of people like Donnie Shell and that bunch used to all the time. Another guy who should be considered more serious of all is Donnie Shell, uh, who's been I think finalist at least twice, if memory serves me correctly, but fell off the ballot and now is his only chance to get in is the uh the seniors, uh the veterans uh committee. But getting back to the, the names that people threw at me, Harrison Smith, you know, uh, the the jury uh, out to me. I mean he's got okay. some stuff, but right, you'll get, right, exactly. You'll get killed by Viking people, I mean, because they just the Vikings right now are the uh, if you don't say that our 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 positional players are top five then you're a liar and, and you don't know what you're talking about. So, okay. but um, <laughs> just saying, if you don't say Xavier right. Rose is a top five cornerback, then yeah, you I don't, are I don't know how that how that wrong happened. Yeah. and terrible, and you don't right. know what you're doing. Um, yeah. Which I'm just <laughs> like, okay. I mean, it's even after the Odell Beckham Jr. thing where people are like, oh, Xavier Rhodes showed Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, he showed that he can move in different directions better than him, <laughs> and it's it's like. Uh, and he showed that he can, you know, push him and get in his face a little bit. But is it that what most corners are supposed to do? I mean, like yep. that's, that's a normal. He's a corner, big, corner he's a trick. big, strong, long safety who's pretty athletic for a big, strong, long safety. But it, is he? People are treating him like he's, you know, Earl. I mean, like he's a. Uh, uh, they're treating him as if we're seeing like the second coming of Darrell Rebus in his prime or we're not. Uh, I mean, he's right. He's, they're, he's not they're completely that. different athletes in terms of Rhodes is, is really a safety athlete. He was extreme. He's very explosive, very fast, stiff, hips, stiff, ankles, stiff. You can right. still make that work as a cornerback, but sometimes you're Justin Gilbert and you can't make it work. So, uh, or, 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 or the other guy that, uh, you know the the that the I got the name of it. The Pittsburgh Steelers is no. him around. Uh, Antoine Blake, yeah, same thing with oh. him. Um, where it's speed and explosiveness with stiffness, which is not very. I mean, if you're a zone corner, you know, again, that's what Xavier Rose is. He's a, he's a very good zone corner. But I didn't see him covering Odo Beckham Jr. one on one. I just saw a zone corner that was just cleaning up what was in front of him. So. A, a, essentially a bear trap cornerback. I'm going to get that sort of, you know, point as well, bear trap players. That, that's essentially what some players are. They, if you go into their area, boom, you're caught. If you don't go into their area, not my business, not my problem. <laughs> right. The Josh Normans of the world, you know? <laughs> right. Right. So... The other thing that has come to me, I know we're never going to be able to completely put the genie back in the bottle of quarterbacks who are completely unsuited to entering the NFL and the NFL. I know that that, you know, that toothpaste can't go back in the tube. That ship has sailed. But I'm hoping that at least we slow down the willy-nilly entering of, you know, Decent, but not exactly saying the world on fire quarterbacks just entering the NFL for, I don't know, whatever reason. And people will always point to guys like, I mean, 
people like to point out Wentz and Dak. Both, for whether, you know, whatever you want to say, both fifth-year seniors. And though... So the the fact is that there's a uh, what's the word? People, like I said, they want to sort of point to the success of certain players and not ignore that they are the exception rather than the rule. And the funny thing is that both Dak and Wentz. I mean, obviously, in the case of, of Wentz, a guy with only you know the 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 same number of starts as the ill-fated Mark Sanchez, if I remember correctly, at sixteen. Uh, but he still spent five years being groomed, uh, though initially much of it as a backup. And then in the case of Dak, obviously he played fairly early on as a sort of package player, as their sort of uh, short yardage, you know, sort of a belldozer slash Tebow kind of early Tebow, the Tebow when he was backing up uh, Chris Week kind of usage. Eventually became a starter, though, more running than a passer, and eventually you could watch his development as a passer. It's not like it all happened in the NFL. They didn't wave a magic wand over, and you could watch him getting more proficient, though obviously in a fairly simplified passing offense, but he became pretty good in that fairly simplified offense. But he was a guy who was very mature physically and mentally by the time he entered the NFL. And though Wentz, like I said, you know, only 16 starts, five years in the program, Mm-hmm. and mentally fairly mature. And, of course, last but not least, people proving that memories are indeed short. Remember when Robert Griffin III was uh, the greatest young quarterback people have seen in decades? Yep. Remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I remember. He's Michael Vick 2.0. He was – and then um, RG3 got all sassy and was like, I ain't no, uh, I ain't no Michael Vick, you know, like that sort of thing. Um and then, I think, yeah, and then he was telling McNabb that he should just watch his business, which he was kind of right what he was saying, but, you know, all that kind of yeah. But, yeah, RG3 <laughs> rose to prominence and then quickly faded out of existence pretty quickly, which is called Cleveland. So, um, yeah, that <laughs> that happened. Right. Well, I just want to point out to people that there are young quarterbacks who've had a fair amount of success early on, and then people adjust. And then turned into nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's the sort of thing I don't want to judge. I don't want to judge. I mean, we're all going to judge players, but in the back of my mind, I ain't going to have a final say in a guy until after four years. I mean, because your career is going to have up and down sort of stuff. You might blow out a knee, who knows, drugs within that four year period. So I just don't feel comfortable anointing a guy after a couple weeks of good play when there are thousands of variables that could have created those situations to happen. Like this isn't the first time we've had young quarterbacks that were successful in the NFL. It's happened a bunch of times before. It's just what makes a great player is not the fact that that they can have success early. It's can they continue that success for the long term, which is really the real question people need to be asking about these players. Right. Right. Okay. And then oh, turning our eyes back to, of course, the wonderful, wild, amazing, and, and for the most part, pretty fun world of 
of collegiate football we've watched so far this year. So some of the things that I <clears throat> I certainly noticed, there's been a fair amount of, we talked about sort of the you know, the need to, you know, first select and destroy a presumptive uh, early first-round quarterback and eventually replacing someone else. Obviously, we've all loved up uh, most of the running back class. As we mentioned on previous shows, the tight end class is, you know, odds and ends, sort of island and misfit toys kind of thing. But there's not one guy you can really hang your hat on and say, this guy's going to be dominant. The wide receiver class has a lot of good wide receivers, but there's no single one dominant receiver, though. Some people have sort of coalesced around, you know, sexy dark horses like Corey Davis, who I'm, you know, big a fan of, of his anyway. I'm big on Taiwan Taylor. There's a few guys, but each of them is something is not quite there to put that person as that truly elite, can't miss Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones. I mean, once again, those guys are rare. Uh, and I hope people will remember that. Uh, the offensive tackle house is one that, as you pointed out, has, a, you know, some things missing. You really like the offensive, uh, the interior offensive line class. Uh, this is a corner class where constituencies have already sort of coalesced around, you know, particular guys. Either the, the traits people all like, you know, the traits, quote-unquote, traitsy CBs. Look at his, if you like to say, look at his beautiful plumage. Uh, the production people have clustered around the productive uh, corners. Uh, the just watch the tape people have clustered around the just watch the tapey corners. Uh, and then some people just watch, you know, the SEC pretty much. So they've clustered around the SEC corners. The Ohio, there's some sort of just watch the Ohio State Buckeyes people out there who have clustered around everybody at Ohio State's defensive back, though, proclaiming them the best. Uh, but as we just discussed, uh, safety play and, and, by extension, cornerback play are things that, as both college and pro football become increasingly pass-centric, having three very good cornerbacks has become something that all the really good and great defenses have to have. Corners who can tackle and cover are increasingly a uh, commodity to be hoarded, if you can, which I guess is why not explains what's going on out in the desert. Hey, if you find them, hoard them. And the box safety, it's funny because you would think that the box safety would be derided and, you know, told not to show its face anymore, but there's still a shocking amount of love for the box safety in this sort of unbox-loving world. Uh as you, as you described, the edge safety. So let's come back to this one more time, and then we'll move on to the next uh, topic. Why, with all the things indicating that the box safety is almost a relic, why still so much love and attention, do you think, Jim? Because you still need people to tackle. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yes. You know, um, it's really that simple. I mean, it, box safeties were hated and derided for, for certain things, but they can cover better than linebackers. Many of them become the linebackers. So mm-hmm. it's sort of a uh, – it's, it's emerging because you have to – when you're running the four two five, which everybody's doing that now. I mean, it's – it's. I rarely see a, a unique defense. It's like all the same uh, in terms mm-hmm. of most of the defense I've seen. It's all four two five stuff with 
some other stuff mixed in. But the, the basic point I'm trying to make is, is, is that is a position in itself where instead of hating the box safety and saying, go bye-bye box safety, we don't want to see you anymore, they've kind of found a place as the cleanup guy, you know, the guy that's in the slot and, you know, tackling what's in front of them, that type of guy. So, um, so and varying degrees of, of ability to make plays on the pass. Some of them can do that. Some of them can't. But the fact of the matter is, if you can get a guy that can tackle uh, and, and do it consistently, that stops the play, you know, because <laughs> – it, it it stops the play. I mean, you're most likely as mm-hmm. I tell, it's a it's underrated. It, it really is. I, people don't talk about tackling anymore, and I think it really shouldn't yeah. be ignored because you know the way the game is going with the fast up tempo and getting the ball out quickly, you're going to have a better chance of tackling a guy and stopping the play than you are breaking up the pass or getting interception now because of just how. I mean, you're going to get more interceptions. You're going to get more opportunities because you're passing more, but the one thing that's going to be constant in stopping the play is tackling. And if you have a guy that can do that, you be. If you don't have a guy that can do that, then it's I mean, it's not good. So, I mean, I, I just think that box safeties were hated because they couldn't cover the pass, but then people realize, well, the linebackers ain't much better. So uh, we might as well just start to love the box safeties again because that's really what they've become is they've, they've really become the de facto – well, linebacker now, at least in a lot of these teams. Right. So now we can sort of expand out. So we've talked about some of the, obviously, the sort of halfway point. What sort of trends, what sort of things do you think will begin happening? Or if not begin, then maybe continue or even accelerate happening going forward? Yeah, starting with sort of everybody's in the meat of the conference schedule. Uh, there's no more – well, there's maybe one more cupcake game uh, sort of shoved in towards the end of the season for some teams. But for the most part, all of the quote-unquote cupcake games are over. Uh, you're, you're playing the meat of the conference schedule. And, you know, some for some teams there might be some cupcake games within conference, but they aren't – it's not – you couldn't plan that or whatever. It's not like you sought it out. Uh, so most of the games from here on out, you know, should be even more tightly contested, close, et cetera. And then we really should see amongst, you know, pro prospects who's for real and who isn't if it hasn't already been established. So give me some things that you see happening in the in the next month and a half or so of uh, collegiate football. Oh, this is really – Big question. Um, yes. What are some things that are going to be happening? Huh. I really don't know. It's really, I think a lot of what's going to happen is I think some some uh, players are going to be solidified in, in, in some people's minds. Uh, I don't really think... Because because we're starting to focus on the uh, power conference play the opportunity for lower conference people to stick out and make a name for themselves, this isn't really going to happen until the bowl games. So, you know, because, you know, you're not going to see San Diego State playing like a top program until bowl game season, you know. So I think, I think we're really, we're really just going to get a better idea of, of the depth of the, of these teams 
um, because you know again depth is, is always vitally important. You know as injuries pile up, you, you gotta you gotta have that extra guy. Some teams the, the some teams do, some teams don't. But I really just think as we get into the meat of the schedule, a lot of players that had initial success against these quote unquote cupcake games may start to get exposed a little bit. May start to you know not play as well as people thought they were because they start to go up against better competition. So I would I would just say some of that might happen as we get into you know the meat of the schedule. Is certain guys that were propped up, you start to realize, oh, he was playing against Weber State. Ah, that's why. You know, like there's there's a, there's some of that that might happen as uh, as we get into the depths of of uh, of the meat of the schedule, I guess. Okay. Got it. And between the beginning of the season now, where have you seen the greatest change for you? I mean, talking about your particular assessment and rankings, whether it be of an individual player or of a particular position group, where have you seen the most movement, uh, the most reassessment, whatever term you want to use, from beginning of the season or preseason even till now? Where have you where have you moved the most? Well, I like I like the quarterback class a lot more than I did going in. Um, I think the emergence of of guys like Trubisky helps that, and J.T. Barrett too, uh, Austin Allen as well. So like, there's a lot more quarterbacks that I like that I'm surprised to like actually um, going into okay. this year. Because uh, I didn't go into this year going, man, I got to have me that Mitch Trubisky. You know, like, I didn't have that attitude. Or, or JT Barrett, uh, the only thing that was in my mind about JT Barrett was the confetti falling on him as he was kind of sulking, you know, in, in his chair because he realized that his career might be over, you know, because Cardinal Jones. But obviously, you know, he, he stuck with it and rectified that. But so a bit of that uh, – the wide receivers hasn't really changed that much. I like again. I, I like the wide receiver. Well, um, I'm, I'm not gonna say I, I'm indifferent to the wide receiver class. I, I do like aspects of it, but I, I don't quite see that special special guy, which is always rare. But still, tight end right. class to me is the I've never. I mean, I was kind of high on it going in just because of all the names people threw out. But then once you start to look into the tape, it starts to get ugly with some of these guys. Especially Bucky Hodges. I mean, Bill. People are still putting Bucky Hodges in the first round, Bill. I mean, we. How does I don't know how that happens, but that that continues to uh, occur. The edge class, I think, is. I kind of, I kind of have the same feeling about the edge class for me. Okay. Okay. And looking to individuals, is there an individual player or two perhaps that has had the greatest amount of movement, whether it be in the right direction, quote-unquote right direction or quote-unquote wrong direction, for you the most uh, since between the beginning of the season and now? Well, I can say that at tackle – Zach Goldditch at Colorado State, who's the right tackle there, 
I'm actually a really big fan of him at this point. Um, I think he moves really well. He has a nice size. Um, I think he's going to be a guy that will sneak up on people because uh, because uh, he just is a he's a big guy who has decent feet and is also kind of powerful. And I also like the right tackle at Pittsburgh too. In uh, this, this Wadi. No, not Biznawadi, the other guy. Oh, oh okay. Uh, his name is – what's his name? Brian O'Neill. There we go. That guy. <laughs> I like Biznawadi <laughs> as a guard, though. But O'Neill, I think, actually has better potential at, at tackle because he has kind of a – he just has kind of better feet and just kind of plays the position to tackle better for – for me at least, because Viznawadi at times is one of those guys who kind of gets a little over his skis at times as a as a run blocker. Um, but I think O'Neal's kind of the more fluid, moving kind of guy, at least when it comes to in space. Um, and also Daniel Brunskill at San Diego State, he's another guy that I – he's a guy who gets, gets to the second level. He finishes a lot more plays than you'd expect. Yeah. Uh, and – I think he's a, he's another one of those tackle prospects that I think because he plays in Mount West, nobody sees him. And he also was a former tight end, so nobody sees him either because of that. So, but because they they might see, oh, he's a tight end and look at the stat sheet and go, oh, you ain't catching any passes. Well, that's because he's playing tackle people. But, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I think he's another one of those guys that I, I had the most sort of uh, uh, enjoyment of, like, Seeing and I'm like, oh yeah, this guy's really good, and nobody's talking about him um, up to this point uh, in terms of a uh, you know a guy that that people haven't seen. I just I just think it's because I haven't seen him, um, but he's just one of those guys that's kind of like that. And Corn Elder, I, I I know I keep saying Corn Elder, but right. The, well, the Corn Elder, right? Him, the Corn Elder train that you started last year is slowly picking up. Still there. Still hasn't left the station. It's still there. <laughs> I'm, I'm basically outside pushing the train, and it's not moving very far. Because, I mean, he's a really good corner, and I don't, yes. I think he's a little bit bigger this year than he was last year. I think he's, he looks taller, too. I mean, I know he's listed at 5'10", but... He looks a little bit taller than that. I mean, he doesn't look that yeah. short, you know. No, no. So, I'm, 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 I'm guessing he's probably at least five ten and three eighths, maybe five ten and a half. He's, he's a big five ten. He's got long arms. He's got a, a muscular chest, and you know, you know, I don't want to get too deep into the whole hip thigh area, but he's a strong, physically strong. I mean, we talked about Rebus. I mean, he's not quite that big, but. Some of the same things that allow Rebus to be Rebus are qualities he possesses, just not at the same level that Rebus possesses. Right, exactly. So I just don't get it. I really – I don't know. I mean, I watched the Florida State game because I felt like – I'm not going to watch Georgia Tech. I mean, come on, Bill. Like, you know, like that's, a, that's, that's the right uh, game to watch in terms of – uh, I mean, in terms of, you know, you know, you can definitely have corner play. Run tackling. It's a big tape to watch if you write, if you're trying to, like, if you're trying to learn about a guy's toughness. How bad does this kid want to play football? You know, there you go. That's 
That might be a good tape to throw on for that. Because there's no sexy cornerback things to do. Like it's search and check. It's all blended up, you know. Exactly. We find out who, who really wants to play football. Exactly. And and the Florida State game, he didn't have a, a pick or anything else like that. But he did have a really good the, – again, the number one thing I really like about him is just his ability to locate the football and get past deflections uh, that awkwardly at times, but he still gets them. So, I mean, it's similar to Jordan Lewis too because he's another guy that is – he gets the awkward sort of pass deflections at times where you don't – he gets them and, and, t- and most of the time these are pass deflections that you don't see getting made by cornerbacks because – they don't have their head turned around or they don't quite have the body control to do it, but he's just one of the guys that, that has that, uh, that I kind of really like about him. So he's just a guy that I, I really don't understand why he is like the 46th corner on most people's <laughs> stuff right now. Um, and, it's not and like you, he's hard to find. I mean, Miami's not one of those places that gets overlooked exactly in terms of talent evaluation. Exactly. So I, I think I think you just – I think he just needs a game. He just needs one of those games where he gets the interception and people will all of a sudden love, fall in love with him, I guess. But he's just one of those guys that I, I really don't understand why there hasn't been the movement on him um, as as some other ones. A wide receiver, because I already talked about D.D. Westbrook, but that's already out the bag. Like, who cares about him yes. at this point? But Now everybody uh, is all over D.D. Westbrook. Yeah. Is Austin Carr at Northwestern? Um, yes. Austin Carr has recently been discovered by the rest of the football world, too, but yes. Yeah, well, I, you know, kind of. I mean, you know, as I, say, I I saw him back in September. You know, you guys are kind of mm-hmm. late to the party. But um, he he's just that type of guy who, in turn, he is, again, he's not blazing, blazing fast or anything else like that, but he really puts himself in position to get open. He's a, a decent all-around route runner, and he – has a really good smart for getting open and getting his body in position to catch passes. And um, I know he's, again, I know he's white and I know that that might be uh, an issue for him in the NFL because, you know, he, he, he may not live up to the Jordy Nelson sort of standard that everybody wants to put a guy to, but, but he is someone who I think plays the wide receiver position really well. Um, and I think people need to, need to recognize, I guess, is all I'm trying to say in terms of right. uh, him. <laughs> Um, Jamal Williams, I think everybody already knows Jamal Williams, but yeah, Jamal he, Williams a, is right, but right, exactly. He's been but he, but in college a, yeah. a long time as well, but he's been good that whole time he's been in college, exactly. And I think he's gonna be there. Was a guy who was like, Who thinks that a running back's gonna be drafted in day one or day two? That's a senior, nobody. And I'm like, Well, hold on a minute, Jamal Williams is gonna, you know, he's gonna get. He's get, there's no way he doesn't get drafted in day two unless he has an injury or something like that. You know, like, right. I, there's, a, there's some other guys I would take, though, too, quite frankly. I mean, I don't right. know how much this guy's been watching the senior running backs. This is actually a pretty good class of senior running backs. I know right. there's more excitement around the, you know, the juniors because, you know, big names and big performances and guys who might win the Heisman or at least be finalists for the Heisman. All those guys are, are juniors, but I mean, obviously, my love for Janelle Pumphrey is not something I need to yet again proclaim, but if he, I have to come back to that. Are, are they watching? Do they, do they see what he does? He's not a scat back. If you, if you just look him up oh. on the Internet, you just say, oh, oh, oh scat back. But well, that, if you say that, you have, I 
tells me you haven't watched him. Well, you, you, you did watch him. You saw him. You saw him uh, in person, or you saw him at the beginning of the tape, and then you were like, "I don't want to watch this scat back," and they turned it off. You know, like he doesn't. He does. He's not the type of guy who gets off the bus and you go, "Oh my gosh, that's Donnell Pumphrey. We're all gonna <laughs> die." Like he's not that type of running back. Uh, but no, when you watch it, yeah, you see acceleration, you see speed, you see all the sort of stuff. He's a guy who can break tackles too, even though he is, you know, not a, a, a big back. But I just he think can it's catch the, the whole, football. He can protect against. Yeah. He you know he picks up blitzes. He he's a full service running back. He does everything for San Diego State. He is. I mean, you're a market share guy. I don't know what what the numbers are, but I know it's a lot. I know he's a huge well, part of their offense. It's it's been that for a while, Bill, and that's yeah. the next thing that you're gonna hear, Bill. Is once we get into the latter part of the uh, draft season, you'll hear people going, "Donnell Pumphrey, too much mileage. All used he's up. Small. <laughs> he's not very big, and he has all these miles on him. Who wants a back like that? So, <laughs> just be ready. That's gonna it's gonna happen. I'm ready. So, I'm ready. I've watched it. That's I've watched this thing. play out so many times. Yeah, but yeah, Pumphrey. Yeah. I mean, I, I do agree with that sort of assessment. I, I mean, there's just. I mean, you know, I mean, Michael Dunn at Maryland is another tackle. I think nobody really is is too familiar with, but I I kind of like him uh, a little more than everybody latches on to the big name colleges. Uh, you know, in terms of like Michigan and stuff like that, or Eric Manganson is, is kind of the new sort of um, hot thing. Um, it's not that I don't like Eric Manganson, but he's not like he's kind of you know his hips are a little tight, um, is all I would really say. Uh, with, a little he's a little right tackleish. I think he might be a good right tackle, but yeah, I don't like the guys. Once again, whenever I someone says I think this person might be an elite left tackle, I ask myself. How well will this person fare against Von Miller? Is it an unfair thing to ask? Of course it's unfair. But if you play in the NFL at left tackle, you might be asked to take on that challenge. Yep. And can you do it? Or will you die? You know, it just depends. Um, and, of course, skiing kind of helps deal with that sort of issue, too. But, I don't know, I just I, I've got, I don't know. I got in an argument with one guy about, as I said, the Vikings have depth issues at offensive line. And then he told me, are you really going to stand, take, keep that stance? And I said, yes. Like, because, like, the the Vikings offensive line situation, in your personal opinion, Bill, do the Vikings have a great offensive line? I would say uh, they got problems in terms of Here, Here's what they have. Tackle. They have, right, okay. I don't want to rehash our whole why T.J. Clemmings is, why they've missed the boat on DJ Clinic. So we've probably talked about that enough. Oh, he's and, a guard, but yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Well, you can't tell anybody that. Or they won't believe you, whatever. But, right. So TJ Clemmings is a guy that is super raw and playing out of position for what he's able to do. And I'll be honest, I don't know if he really likes hitting people that much. Like, it really worries me when people, even when you bring up guards, I, guards to me are people that like hitting other people a lot. Yes, yeah. yes I, I agree. <laughs> but I'm just saying, athletic profile wise, as I do with most of these 
situations, where does he best fit? He fits as a guard, you know. So, right. But until I watch him play football and I see him not look all that enthusiastic about hitting other people, and then I think, well, that's not a guard, (laughs) you know. I mean, so that's what I worry about. Sure. Yeah. So that concerns me. I guess (laughs) it's a concern. (laughs) I mean. The Vikings signed Jake Long and in press conferences said that if we get another injury, things are going to not look good. So don't tell me that the offensive situation right, is right. There's a, is, there's a reason you were the ones that signed Jake Long. It wasn't like Jake Long just hit the market. No, he's been there for a while. Yep. He got off at the line issues. I'm not saying that you can't deal with it. We've seen plenty of – I mean, shoot, the Broncos had Ryan Harris at tackle for a good chunk of time um, and almost got Peyton Manning killed. But, you know, actually they kind of did. But, yeah, I mean, it's – sure, you can get away with bad tackle play. It's it's a thing that you can neglect, but it's something that you neglect until it's, – it's like you want to make sure you got good insurance because you don't want the hurricane to come by and, and blow away your house when it does. So it's like anything else. As I tell, it's like the Carolina Panthers. They had these two. I, I'm not going to say that. I, I don't know. Cause the funny thing about the people that praise the Panthers tackles is they praise them. And then all of a sudden they did badly. And then they're like, Oh no, I wasn't that high on them. Well, yeah, you were. <laughs> you were saying that. These guys are like really good, and look at look at them finishing blocks and run blocking. And sure, as run blockers, yeah, great. But put them up against Von Miller. Like I said, the insurance policy doesn't cover that. So, like, it's, <laughs> it, you have to make sure you got insurance to cover all all facets. So I just don't understand the sort of, you know, again, I understand scheme factors into things, but I'm just I, there's some players you just don't get away with that. But the basic point I'm trying to make is to just get back to players is. You know, Michael Dunn, I think, is a, is a tackle in Maryland that people need to be more familiar with as a guy who can move in space and decent size. Ewan Price, I'm – I mean, I'm indifferent on Ewan Price. I don't know what to do with him as a uh, – as you know, data brings up questions at times. With and not you hope very the tape easy, will answer those questions. Easy answers. But the tape doesn't right. answer those questions. In terms of how will this, how long will this guy, you know, last? Being sort of, he's a guy who, I mean, there was like lots of guys that I can remember, Bill, that like, you know, the Wake Forest defensive nose tackle guy that was Nikita turned Whitlock. into a fullback. Yeah, Nikita Whitlock. But there's always been these types of guys, or or even the sure. Maryland, you know, guy who you know was undersized oh, and short. Andre Monroe. Uh, Andre Monroe, and they've come around. And Ewan Price has definitely shown out to be better than those guys, at least in terms of production. But it's just one of those weird things of, like, is the NFL really going to let this happen? You know, like, I don't know. Like, it's it's just one of those things that back in my mind that I just kind of wonder about, I guess. is is Will the NFL let this happen? Or will they be like, I don't know, we should move them to fullback because that's what we do with these guys. You know, that's what they do with all those guys. Just like, oh, Bruce Miller, right? Fullback. Yep. Bruce Miller much. led the nation in tackles for loss, and I think sacks. I think he did both one yep. time. I mean, it's like if James Harris came out, you know, like right now, they would probably turn him into a fullback too. So it's it's just a weird situation we're in. But I, I don't know. I, I just there's there's things that 
all the data stuff really points to good things, and Tate definitely shows some really good things too. But I, I just don't really know. I don't know. It's something I have to think about because it's a it's a tough decision to make in terms of long term. Because again, I'm focused on the long term, not the short term. But he's sure. just a guy that I think is interesting. But I worry about a few things there. Uh, Aaron Pinson, cornerback in Missouri, is another guy. Like I said, that nobody. Nobody talks about, nobody cares about, nobody watches the tape, uh, pretty much. I mean, hopefully he gets a senior bowl invite. I think that if he got something like that, that could, you know, help him uh, rise up a bit because people would actually watch his tape, maybe. Um, <laughs> yes, maybe. Think anybody else. It's funny because yeah. somehow people watch Missouri and blather on and on about Charles Harris. Charles Harris. <laughs> Oh yeah, Charles here. Put him on plate. I want him. Yeah. Uh, which I'm like, okay, sure. But they have other players there, so yep. and they rave about spend, that half a sack you got, you know, oh, and two other pressures. If you spend a little bit more time, you just put a little bit more effort in watching games, and yeah, you catch these things. But yeah, so I mean, there's that sort of guy. The center class, I think, is 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 good, which I think most people will agree with that. Would agree with that stance, but I don't know. But I, I think the center class is definitely has has good depth to it, which I don't really hear a lot about. And yeah, at least that wide receiver. Like I agree with you, Bill. I like Taewon Taylor. I like Corey Davis. Do I think that these guys are guys I would take in the First round, me kind of, you know, it's, it's debatable at least at this point to me. So, um, but yeah, and of course Jordan Wyatt at SMU. That's not probably the last guy I'll bring up is Jordan Wyatt at SMU. Uh, the cornerback is continually slept on, and yet he and it's not like he doesn't do cool plays. He does the highlight plays and the gifts. He does all that stuff. It's just he plays at SMU, and nobody really cares if he plays at SMU. But, um, but yeah, I mean, those are sort of the – oh, and a, not one more guy, Ty Lotulele at oh, UNLV. Boy. Oh, you don't like Ty Lotulele? No, 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 no. I'm saying oh. more – yes, all the Lotuleles. Lutul, all the Of all the Lotuleles, people oh. are sometimes watching the wrong one. Well, he's the be- he's the best one, you know, in college football at least. Um, yes, I think he's so he he's, tops your he tops your Lutulele rankings. Yep, he's right. He's he's right there, um, right next to Avery Lutulele and uh, and uh, and Bob Lutulele, which I don't know where he <laughs> plays, but there's got to be a Bob Lutulele, right? Somewhere out there. Somewhere out there. Uh, but yeah, Ty Lutulele is is a really good linebacker prospect who is. He's actually quite explosive, quite quick, decent strength. He doesn't quite have the flexibility I really like it at the linebacker position, but I think he's one of those guys where the explosiveness can trump a little bit of that, if you will. But he, but he's a guy who who has good feet and uh, is powerful. So I mean, he he's just one of those guys kind of like that. But um, at least right now, that's really in terms of guys that I'm like. Oh my gosh! Get because there's a lot of talk about the tackle class because there yeah. was Mike, you know Mike Mike Khalil or no uh, sorry Mike McGlinky sorry 
um, you know, the tackle at Notre Dame was yeah. publicly saying, I'm going to stay in school because I believe in education, which most of the director is like, no, why do you want an education? Why can't we have you? We're so selfish type of type of thing. Um, yeah. And, right. and people are like, the tackle class is doomed. Run for your lives type of mentality uh, with, with that. But it really isn't, guys. Like, if you again, if you spent a little bit more time watching tape, you would have your Ryan Rancic, you would have your Daniel Brunskill, you would have your Zach Goldditch, you would have your Michael Dunn and your Brian O'Neill. Like you would have these guys, um, and even even you know Zach Crabtree at Oklahoma State. Like there is tackles out there to mm-hmm. be had. It's just you're not watching the tape. Northwestern yeah. even has one. I mean, he's not a first round or even a third round yeah. guy, but they've got one guy that, I mean, I think he's like a maybe fifth, sixth kind of guy. Might oh, develop. you mean Eric Olson? Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but so. nobody ever pays attention. I mean, but not nobody ever. I mean, it's funny. Well, I saw Eric Olson, but yeah. Right, exactly. I know you did. But I mean, here's the funny to me. Every once in a while, they'll latch onto one Northwestern prospect whether it be Dean Lowry or a few years ago when it was um, uh, the super tall defensive end, sort of five technique. Uh, Corbin um, Bryant? Is that, was that his last mm-hmm. name? But, yeah, they like, latch on to him. Yeah. And they'll either, you know, sort of fall in love and say, you know, lots of great stuff, or the other way around, they'll, you know, pick him apart, take him up to, to pieces and say, oh, you know, look how short his arms are. If you weren't a pterodactyl, if only, you know, he weren't tragically misshapen, you know, whatever it is that they decide uh, about why a guy can't play or whatever. But it's funny how they, on the same team, this thing blows my mind. Here's the thing that drives me absolutely batty. There's guys on the same darn team. So I think you must have seen this guy. This is what kills me. Like you just mentioned in Missouri, if you're you're getting all warm and runny about Charles Harris, you must have noticed. I mean, they're, they're on the field at the same time. You know what I mean? Like there's no there's no way you can miss it. They're not even the best prospect on the team, on the defensive side of the ball. How, how can you see him and not see that guy? Well, because oh, yeah. Charles Harris is a pass rusher, and pass rushers, no matter how good, are the best players on the team. Oh. Oh, right. You know. Right. How, how can just I say it? I mean, that's just – it's it's deductive reasoning, you know, um, <laughs> in terms of, you know, stuff. So, um, but, yeah, I, I just think the tackle class is a little – you know, it's better if you actually pay attention. If you don't pay attention, yeah, it's it's not great. If if all you do is watch Cam Robinson and uh, I don't know why I have to keep saying again, it's funny I I forget Roger Johnson, but it's pretty easy to do that. You know, as I tell (laughs) most people, if you watch a lot of tape on tackles and you can't remember the tackles' name, maybe they weren't really that great. But yeah. So Roger Johnson, Cam Robinson, I mean, you know, Cam Robinson is a little bit better than Johnson, but I still kind of see more of a run blocking sort of guy who 
can be had with speed and quick and not even quickness, just fluidity, you know, is something that <laughs> he's got problems with. So, right. Yeah. I, I think it's a little weird. And even Chad Wheeler and some of it may be injury. Some of it may be whatever, but he's not quite had a, you know, he hasn't had a, a really, he just hasn't put up first round tape. You know, he moved, yeah. he moved right. well. And he looks when he's moving, he looks cool, and he has longish arms, but he hasn't been quite really. Good. His strength isn't really that great, hundred percent. And maybe that's injury related, but it just isn't. You know, again, right now his strength isn't great, and his overall like counters and stuff like that. Gets, I mean, there was one game in particular where he just got push-pull to death. So, we're just push-pull in the backfield, push-pull in the backfield, push-pull in the backfield uh, against uh, Colorado. And I was just like, man, you just, you know, it's just one of those examples of, you know, I, I would hope you would adjust to that is all I'm trying to say. And he never really adjusted to that. It's just an issue I've seen with him with, with counters at times. So, um, but, yeah, I, I think – this is a again. It's a better tackle loss than people think. I just think that you gotta watch the tackles. Yeah, it's interesting because as you just pointed out, if the Big Ten or the Big Twelve or the SEC or the Pac-12 doesn't have an obvious first-round tackle, then all of a sudden it's a bad tackle class, which you know ignores. Well, the AAC, uh, the right, and the and as you pointed out, the Mountain West. Emilio Sundalt's tackles aren't lighting the world on fire, but there's other places where people play football. There's not just you know forty football teams in America. We bemoaned all of us, you, I, and you know, draft Twitter and the draft community at large have bemoaned to some extent the state of the linebacker class. At least some people have. Is there a linebacker? Of course, you did mention um, Lusalele at UNLV. Is there a, a linebacker that you think is much more capable or much more talented than you think the draft community at large is? Has uh, has acknowledged. Huh. Interesting question. I really don't know yet because I've seen a lot of linebackers. Too many, beyond too many linebackers, to be honest, worth the trouble at this point. And uh, I mean, like I said, Tyler Zulaley is a guy that people should be familiar with. Tanner Viejo at Boise State is a guy that people should be familiar with. I know I keep saying it every show, but Jonathan Ford, mm-hmm. the edge safety linebacker, is someone I think people need to be more familiar with. Uh, Jannard Avery at Memphis is a is a you know linebacker people need to be more. Kenny Young at UCLA, Darius Harris. Yeah, nice little. I yeah, mean, I guess they. You know, I mean, I'm saying that. You know, Penn State obviously has the title of linebacker. You, but. 
Mm-hmm. The last few years, UCLA has been cranking them out. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, except for Miles Jack. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. But, um, but yeah, the, yeah, Kitty Young, I, I like uh, Darius Harris, Calvin Munson at San Diego State, Hardy Nickerson at Illinois, and yeah, that's about it. Again, whenever I get to Nick and Luca, I don't, I don't want to continue. Um, so, like, there's some good linebackers. Uh, I got done with the because uh, I did a midpoint market share data collection thing, and there's some linebackers I haven't got to. I've gotten to a lot of these guys, which is a good thing, um, but some of them I haven't. Like, I haven't really got into Jack CC at Wisconsin. He's a guy that kind of showed out production-wise. Uh, T. Gray Scales at Indiana is another guy that I, I haven't seen yet, but he's a, he's a guy that kind of performed well in terms of those types of things. Um, and that's really about it for the most part in terms of guys who really performed. My big thing is, there's a lot of guys who performed well in terms of uh, production stuff. I've seen their tape and I don't like them. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's that type of situation with, at this point with me uh, in the linebacker class. So I really don't know. Um, you know, I mean, I'll go back and watch the, their tape obviously, but I just didn't quite, I mean, there's guys like uh, Andrew Matua, you know, from Virginia tech, who was probably the best out of all of them. I saw his tape. I was kind of like, eh, yeah, okay. Uh, of course, Zach Cunningham. I might be the only person on the planet who isn't too goo-goo-gaga over him, but I do like him. I just I just don't quite see the athlete. You recognize his, right, you recognize his, his shortcomings. He's, we, always, we, talk, we just spent a bunch of time talking about space, how much you're going to have to play in space. Hey, Sam linebackers in the future, forget future, in the in the now, are going to be have to play in space. Mike linebackers are well and always have been to have to play in space. And obviously, you know, that's what Will Linebacker's whole raison d'etre is the linebacker who has to play in space. So there's no place to hide that Cunningham. You know, any of the positions he's gonna play, either in a three four or four three as a linebacker. I'm going to ask him at some point to play in space. Exactly. So I just, again, I just worry from that kind of uh, perspective. Micah Kaiser at Virginia is another guy that I've seen the tape and I do like aspects of him, but I, I just don't see, uh, again, the production, this is kind of where the tape and the data needs to match up and it doesn't quite with guys like Kaiser uh, Jabril Peppers is here, kinda. He's twelve percent solo tackle market share, which is which is good. Well, that's good, but so that means there's nobody who's in the, you know, the elite level plus no. ultra killing machine. Okay, right, right. Although, okay. although again, I I haven't seen T. Gray Scale in Indiana, so I I don't have an opinion on him, and I haven't seen uh, Jack CC at Wisconsin. So the guys that are in the kill zone, the sort of, you know, Ray Lewis, Brian Urlacher, you know, Luke Keekley, you know, right. those types of guys, uh, Navarro Bowman, 
Patrick Willis. You know, those types of guys. Oh. Nobody's there uh, in terms of guys that I've seen that I was like, oh, my gosh, that's Patrick Willis. Or, oh, my gosh, I'm looking at Navarro Bowman. Like, I, I've seen these guys, and I don't get that reaction from them. Um, so, I, I, that, that's my that's my initial Again, it's not matching up with, with stuff. But Peppers was in the 12% area. The one guy, I, I don't even know why he's here, is Jared Davis. Well, I've seen a, I've seen a decent amount of Jared Davis up to this point, and I still don't see I don't see it. I don't get it. Right. I'm with I don't. You. I, I, the names I keep hearing are Raekwon Millen, Jared Davis, and um, Ruben Foster. And... I can see some of the Foster height, particularly as once again, you know, hashtag space. He has a lot of space linebackerish quality. Yeah, they take him out of space. What happens? He sucks. <laughs> He's not a fan of offensive guards, Jim. He may be allergic to him. Exactly, which is why the one thing that the data shows is that Ruben Foster, as of this moment, has eight percent solo tackle market share. And I know as somebody who like, okay, what does that mean? It means that he's not that good. He's not that good. Again, you want your off-ball linebackers to be 12% or higher, at least for special higher, special yeah. players um, is what you want. And he's 8%, 8.6% at the league right now. So that's pretty much Miles Jack all over again. Darren Lee, Miles Jack, those guys. And he wasn't even – I don't even think he was as good as those guys were. So, it's it's not good. And then Raekwon McMillan, this is probably the – this is probably the guy that after doing all my stuff, I was like, what? Because <laughs> McMillan was 6.5% solo tackle market share. 6.5, which is significantly even lower than that. That's like lower than that's below average solo tackle market share for a linebacker. And when you watch the tape, not that surprising because he has when he's inside and he's in the box, he's 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 you know shedding guys and tackling about fifty fifty, but he you know he's shedding guys and you know enough for gifts to be made of that. And but when you ask him to go make a sideline tackle, doesn't always get there. You ask him to make a depth tackle, doesn't always get there. So he's probably the the most overhyped linebacker at this point. And I don't even understand, other than he plays at Ohio State, like the Ruben Foster stuff, okay. If you say he's a coverage linebacker, I've seen the tape, he can do that. Is he a, a special linebacker who can do it all? No. I, he's not. Um, he's not that type of guy, but is he a guy who could be a coverage linebacker? Sure. When it comes to a guy like McMillan, I'm just not even, I don't, yeah, I just don't get it um, at this point. And unless something drastically changes, unless he like has some sort of serum that he takes, you know, super soldier serum and then becomes a completely different player the rest of the season. I don't see these tackle numbers bumping up in which case I'm going to be doing my data charts and then people are going to be saying, but it doesn't matter, or they're going to talk about scheme, or who who knows what, Bill. Or the mm-hmm. fact that he's playing at Ohio State. So he's playing on this great team, and the reason he isn't productive is because there's so many great players on the team. 
which in all the data work I've had has never borne out. Did you just never just been a player. Ray Lewis just a few moments ago. There's never been a great player who played on a great team and his production was masked by the fact that he was on this great team. Like I get the the CJ Mosley talk because I was talking to a guy about this and he's like, well, how does it, you know, what about players who play on great teams and how how does that affect their Ray production? Lewis played on great teams. Well, yeah, Ray Lewis. Again, Ray Lewis did. But I'm just saying, like, I tell these people, it has never come up. It's never happened. It's never been a – if it was a thing, I would be paying attention to that and going, oh, my gosh, this is – yeah, this is a thing, and I need to add a filter to this or add a thing to this because it's important because, obviously, that's the only explanation for this guy. But it's never happened. It's never come up. The fact of the matter is – if you are a great player, you're gonna ball. It doesn't matter if you're on a great team or not. You're gonna ball. So, like when you go to the NFL level, you gotta. You're gonna be playing with other great players. Like you need to. You need to. <laughs> exactly. Over. You need to get above that level. So, like I just, when it comes to the sort of excuse of, because that's the excuse that that people made for Darren Lee. That's the excuse that people made for Miles Jack. Like he was uh, playing at UCLA, so that was a Jack great wasn't defense. On that good defense. I, I know he wasn't, defense, but, but uh, I remember the people who were telling me to uh, my face that he was playing at UCLA, and there's all these other playmakers there, and of course he wasn't that productive because Eddie Vanderdoes and this other guy were, were stealing all the we're stealing oh, all the production. Oh, no. <laughs> I guess, or even Darren Lee, where where we were talking about Darren Lee and how Darren Lee is, you know, he was this great linebacker who, and because he was on this great team, his, his again, I I kind of I even told somebody this never happened. They're like, well, I'm gonna side with my with with my theory, which is that he was on a great team and that's why his production wasn't great. And then I again, I just keep telling him that, but 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 it didn't stop Darren Brooks. But that's didn't stop. But that's wrong. That's and at this point, I, I know I, I make this analogy a lot, but when, when people when people say that, and, and I just tell them, that's like a person, that's like me telling you that the world is round and you telling me the world is flat. Like, th- there comes a point where there's enough data, thousands <laughs> of players, over decades worth of stuff, with these results, that it becomes more of a fact, more of a thing that you should really pay attention to than just some BS thing. And I'm not dismissing the fact that, yes, you need to watch the tape because, yeah, you need to be able to go, okay, the tra- he has the traits, he has the, he has the production, he has this, he has that. But the point of all the production stuff is to ask questions that the tape, really, people get so blinded in traits that they don't look at the flaws. They don't look at the, the reasons why, because there's reasons on tape why Darren Lee wasn't that productive. There's reasons why Miles Jack wasn't productive. But you want to ignore all that stuff and throw all that stuff out the window because of just a, a central bias, a central groupthink sort of thing, when the main point of the data is to, is to say, stop groupthink, stop doing that, stop, 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 and actually pay attention and rise above that bias. You know, so to me, this linebacker class, isn't really that great. Now, again, like I said, I haven't seen all these linebackers yet. That's the one thing I like about doing the, mid- the midpoint market share stuff is because I get to look at, okay, I haven't seen that guy play. Let's, let's, see what he, let's see what he brings. But at the same time, it does give you a good perspective 
for the guys that people like, and then you look at the data, and at least to me at this point, Reuben Foster and Raycon McMillan are not the people that they that the things that people think they are they aren't. And on tape, it shows up, but nobody wants to pay attention to that. They just want to pay attention to the fact that they're on these great teams and they're going to go on to be great players at the next level. When the fact of the matter is, that isn't how life works. You know, just because you play at Alabama, I mean, there have been people that played on great teams and were these players and people like, oh my gosh, you know, this guy is going to be the next coming of whatever. There are guys who played on Urban Myers teams where at Florida, where they're like, this guy's going to be the second coming of whatever, and he's a great player, and they became nothing. So you can't take that mentality. Looking at you, Crowder. Looking at you. Pretty much. Pretty much. You just can't have that mentality that a guy's on a great team, so they're all great. And (laughs) that is something that that is becoming really evident this year, is you can just look on the tape and see the flaws of Ruben Foster's game when it comes to shedding tackles, when it comes to even his just general football IQ. I'm not saying he's dumb. I'm just saying that he doesn't always see what's happening 100%. He isn't always locked on. He isn't always correct in his assessment of situations. And a lot of, and that's a lot of what makes a great off-ball linebacker is the ability to see things happen before they happen. He isn't quite that. And the same thing is with McMillan who has better instincts, but his athleticism only takes him so far because I really don't think he's that great of an athlete. I think he's kind of a uh, athlete. So I don't, I really don't know at this point. I just think that in terms of this linebacker class, Jabril Peppers, give him to me. Jonathan Ford, give him to me. And Tyler Tulele, who's probably not going to be this class, he's not going to declare because nobody's going to watch him. So, you know, why? <laughs> but you know, there are guys out there that I like. Tanner Vieja, who I think, again, he's, he's, a, he's a guy that I, I'm a big fan of, who I think can uh, – although he might get – again, he he might get some blow – because he plays such a weird position, Bill. It, it's it's such a he's, – he's a run-and-chase linebacker in the literal sense because he's running everywhere, <laughs> you know, left side of the field, right side of the field, up the field, back, but, like, he's going everywhere. Um, in, in a truest sense of the form at Boise State. So, he, he you know, again, he, he he's just that type of guy. He's not the most uh, – he, he isn't always getting these pro looks, I guess is all I'm trying to say. But I would say that he's a guy that I, I do like his, his instincts and I do like his ability to to get from point A to point B fairly quickly and tackle, which is something that is also another underrated skill. But the basic point is at this point is I really just don't like his linebacker class 100% yet. And I don't think that the guys that people are praising and propping up are the guys you should really be propping up, you know, at this point, other than Jabril Peppers, because I, I get it. Because here's an interesting stat for you, at least on Jabril Peppers, is the NFL doesn't view him as a linebacker yet, and yet all of sure. his production is linebacker-based to the point where he doesn't yet even have a single pass deflection this year, Bill. Not a single pass deflection yet. Like all so, of this stuff there's no tackles that have three pass deflections. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Jared Davis has more pass deflections than Jabril Peppers. So, like, that, that that's a fact. So, at least this year. So, again, he's not a safety. He is a – again, he's a, lot, he's a hybrid, but he's more of a linebacker than he is a safety because what he's excelling at 
is solo tackles and blitzing for sacks and blitzing for you know for uh, t- you know tackles for loss. Like that's what he's excelling at. That's what he is. He's just a undersized linebacker who's playing the edge safety position. Um, and I don't I don't see anything wrong with that. I I don't think he's Dion Buchanan. I mean he's not even as good as Dion Buchanan in terms of all facets of the position. No. You know, no, Dion Buchanan could cover people in space better than him. But if you're saying that he's a guy that that can play that will linebacker position, sign me up, baby. You know, come on, let's go. So, yeah, and he also can play some running back too. Which I really think too. I remember people with Miles Jack too. His production isn't very good because he's playing running back. Well, Jabril Peppers uh, is debunking that as we speak as well. He played running yes. back. He's still way more productive than Miles Jack was at this point. Right. So, yeah. And playing receiver didn't reduce, uh, you know, Woodson's uh, productivity when he was a boy. I mean, we keep sort of coming back around to it, but the really great players have great production and great tape. Both. All the really great players, with virtually no exceptions. Have both great tape and great production. Not one or the other. They have both. Pretty much. When you don't pay attention to one, you get blindsided, people. You start to make mistakes in the process. Busts become busts because of that. Uh, maybe not busts, but guys who underperform. Um, because there are definitely guys who last in the NFL. But you do get a sense. You just get the sense, Bill, that, yeah, they had a lot of starts. But was it because they were great players or was it because they were first rounders and they just kind of kicked around the league until teams finally said enough, you know, you're not <laughs> whatever people saw on you wrong. Cause that happens a lot more than people care to say. At least it's, it's, it's gotten I mean, a little Blaine better. Gabbert, if Blaine Gabbert had been a UDFA from Montana state, he might have made it through camp. He might have been on a practice squad. He might have hung around the league for three or four years. There's no way. It would have lasted this long. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's just, it's that sort of, it's that sort of thing. I mean, you see it, it's, it's people want the, it's the, the first run becomes like a, like the luster of, of, uh, of stuff in the sense of like, you know, with television, right? You know, you see television shows and you see actors that were like on The Wire, right? Or The Sopranos or, you know, some other great TV show where it's like they, they want these play, they want these guys because they have that aura around them. Like, hey, you used to be on The Wire, you know? Let's have some of that flavor to our TV show, right? You know, let's let's put you, you're, you're going to make our TV show great because you're on The Wire. When Just because the guy was on The Wire doesn't mean your TV show is going to be as good as The Wire. Like just because a guy is drafted in the first round doesn't mean that 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 luster is gonna stay on him, and you know he's gonna you know he, he just was you know again it's it's just because a guy is in one place you associate positive things because they were in some sort of situation or or whatever you know being drafted in the first round is a positive association right most people would say yeah if you're drafted in the first round you must be good. You know, uh, it's, you know, smuckers, you gotta, you gotta be good. So like it's, but the thing is, is no, sometimes you get drafted in the first round and you're not good. And sometimes you're bad. I mean, look at Jamarcus Russell. So like, you just have to not have that mindset that, that just cause there's a positive association with, 
what a player had experience-wise doesn't mean that you're going to rekindle that. It, it, it just isn't the same thing. You got to separate the player from what's around them. And I think that's, that's really the main point. You just got to separate the player from whatever situation he's in and just evaluate the player for what he is. And I, I just don't think there's enough of that going around in terms of uh, NFL draft evaluation. Uh, hello? Sorry. I was asking you a question, but I had apparently muted oh. myself. So I will repeat <laughs> since I was not able to be heard. So thus far, looking back on the first half of the season, who are the players that production-wise look the most like great players? When you look at market share, when you look at the numbers, because you don't have athletic testing to go with yet, but you, you have some tape, obviously, and then you have the numbers. Who are the guys that look the most like great players based on what you do have to go off? Right, right. So, uh, well, offense and defense, yeah. Right. Well, well, we'll start with quarterback. Surprising place to start. But, again, there have, there have been positive correlations to touchdown interception ratio. It's been sure. proven all the way back to 1983. Um, which that's how far back I went. But, yeah, uh, I did get a time machine, of course. It was data collection all the way back to 1983. And yeah. the one thing I noticed is above average touchdown interception ratio is a positive correlation in every yeah. era of, of football up to that point. Um, Dan Marino had above average, uh, all those guys, Jim Kelly, all those guys. Of course, it was like one-to-one touchdown interception ratio. But, again, <laughs> back then, <laughs> back then, that was above average. So, uh in terms of that, and also completion percentage, which again, everything over 60%, which that's what Montel actually did, which I looked at the stuff and I'm like, oh, you're right. Completion percentage, you know, 60% or better is also a positive correlation. So when you jam those two things together, um, what you get is you get Mitch Trubisky, who people are down on, frown, sad face <laughs> emoji type of stuff with him. Uh, where he just has to he had, he had his Jared Goff moment in the last game. Yeah, no, it wasn't but quite Jared Goff didn't but... play in a hurricane. I mean, Jared Goff <laughs> you know, had a bad game against a really good defense. Mr. Trubisky <laughs> played in a, in a in a he played in a situation that most players will probably not play in in the NFL. Sure. I'm sorry, it's or it's, any other place really, or any place really. It's a, unless you know the unless the sort of climate change stuff is right, and we're going to have more hurricanes. That would may happen, but still, I think that when you look at the situation of Trubisky, you just got to throw that game out. So you keep it in your mind, but even though he had that bad of a game, he's still averaging 6.5 touchdown interception ratio, which is above average high, almost as high as Mariota, and 70% completion percentage despite that bad game. That ain't bad, people. That's actually really good. So if you just watch the tape for State, you watch the tape of Pittsburgh, you watch the tape of Tennessee, you just you watch the tape of Illinois, you just watch the tape of this guy. And I know it's early and I get all that stuff, but 
you do have to realize that, that, yeah, he's young and, yeah, he has some months to take, but he's still playing at a very high level despite that bad game. He's rising above that bad game, if you will. Like, he's there. Uh, and, you know, again, this is just guys that tape-wise and the, and the stuff matches up. So, like, he's there. Patrick Mahomes is there. Uh, he's a guy that is at, you know, about 73% completion percentage and 5-to-1 and, uh, touchdown interception ratio, which is really good. JT Barrett is there. Uh, Luke Falk is there. And I know yeah. the, the uh, just watch the tape slash, but people are going to raise a certain amount of ruckus. A bunch of those guys you mentioned play in some either full on air raid or air raid inflected uh, uh-huh. kind of system. Uh, Mahomes right. is in a full on air raid as is Falk. Uh, yeah. Larry Fedora mm-hmm. comes from the Gundy coaching tree, so there's some air raid influence. Right. Um, yep. Who else did you mention? Um, who else you mentioned? Oh, you didn't oh, Trubisky. Trubisky, Mahomes. yeah, that's right. Mahomes, well, yep. Kaiser is oh. in a sad situation. He's 58.8% completion percentage oh. and 2.8 to 1 touchdown interception ratio. No. Not bad, Ow. but below average. Not bad, but that's. Nowadays, I mean, once again, you know, if you put him in a time machine and send him back to 1993, we would be carrying him around on our shoulders. Yeah, and talking about what a wonder next, child he is. Right. He, we would be saying that he's the he's the the uh, uh, the, the quarterback that Dallas drafted back then. Uh, Troy Aikman. He's the next Troy Aikman. Like that's what we would right. be saying about right. him at that point. Yeah, and we would be but, somewhat correct based on today, his profile. Yeah. But today, and again, he doesn't have a lot of help. He he really doesn't. I mean, sure. why, it's, it's bad. Uh, and they got issues at that position this year. They got issues at position. And he's a young player. So, like, this isn't the end yeah. of the world for Kaiser. But the That's fact cool. of the matter is, it's below average. You know, yeah. It's below average. It's not, not where it needs to be. Um, so, yeah, sure. Luke Falk plays in the air raid system. Watch the tape. Sure. Patrick Mahomes <laughs> plays an air raid system. Watch the tape. Every criticism I've heard of Mahomes has been things that if you watch the tape, there is counters to that argument. He can't mm-hmm. make plays from in, within the pocket. Yes, he can. He doesn't hit checkdowns. I've seen him hit checkdowns. He doesn't play within the offense, which doesn't make any sense. Like, that's such <laughs> a term. Does he improvise a lot? Sure. And does he do some things? He's not things making that are... plays on schedule. That's the issue. Right. He's not making these plays on schedule. Yeah. Hey, the ball's not I out mean, in 2.2 seconds. Boo. Exactly. He improvises a, a, a lot. I do agree. He, I mean, there is stuff to not like about Mahomes because of his sort of, and I just say Brett Farvian or Tony Romian or any of the other Rome mm-hmm. um, type of guys. Where yeah, he improvises a bunch. He does a little shuffle pass thing, and he does he plays the position kind of like a point guard, you know, kind of you know, just sort of like he's playing one on one basketball at times. It's kind of how he's playing the position, but it works, and he has really good arm strength, and he does have really good uh, you know accuracy. So like if you watch the tape, you see a guy who can do all those sort of things. And I even bring up Derek Carr because. I didn't quite think I could see a guy who could make the same type of throw Derek Carr made in terms of a flat-footed 60-yarder down the field. Uh, but 
I've seen Mahomes do that. So like, okay, yep. check off the list. I've seen that. So it's he lead on. He just yeah. has all that the part because I don't think even the people who don't like him deny that his arm I can't probably the the best in the whole class. He's too, he's too good. He's too good to deny. Is how I, I would put it. And with right. Luke Falk, Luke Falk is a little bit different because I think my only gripe with Luke Falk is that his deep passes and intermediate passes can be a little, little off. I will agree. Yeah, little, but little, I, little, little soft, little wobbly. Little soft, little wobbly. But I do think that he does it with a consistency enough to where he is an air raid offense, but he is able to make some of these throws consistently. And, you know, and maybe not as consistently as you'd want it, but the mere fact that he's even making that throw is a good sign. And he is playing in this Mike Leach, you know, Mike Leach quarterbacks are terrible type sure. of thing. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the term Mike Leach quarterback is enough to make some people simply refuse to watch. In fact, yeah. pretty much. But I just don't really, I don't, I don't know. I just like them. I don't know. You know, I can't tell you who to like. I just like them. So well, uh, I think he's a good decision maker. And yeah, yeah. Well, going back to another Mike Leach quarterback that I kind of like, he has a lot of the same qualities. Uh, supremely physically and mentally tough. He, you know, takes a licking and keeps on kicking, as they say. Uh, and like all the Mike Leach quarterbacks, like he's never had a guy who had like a woo, you know, where you just watch a guy sling it around and you go, wow, woo, man, who doesn't break anybody's hands today? I mean, he's, he's never had one of those guys. For whatever reason, Texas Tech, I mean, you have to go to Oklahoma. And even then, during the time of the OC at Oklahoma, I mean, Bradford, I guess, was the strongest arm of all those guys he had. I mean, none of those guys were dislocating and breaking guys' fingers in practice. Not going to think no, of it. No. Huh. You know, I mean, Josh Heifel wasn't putting the Heifel cross on people. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Though. I think about uh, he's never really had a guy with a truly extraordinary arm anywhere. That he's been. Now I think about it. Huh, interesting. But he's managed to make it work. <laughs> exactly. But there, but there hasn't been like for for whatever reason. Again, I I think this quarterback class is just one of those places where because people aren't because people gravitated to one guy and then they didn't play well. Talk about you, Deshaun Watson. That people lost <laughs> interest in it because of that thing. But I again, Luke Falk, good player. Patrick Mahomes, good player. Ben Trubisky, good player. I think they're playing in these systems that people that NFL teams don't like. But you don't have a choice anymore. Instead of whining about the offensive system they're playing in, you gotta adapt at some point, or at least figure out the things that you need to. Instead of ask, instead of having the the sort of response of you know, man, we missed on Jack Prescott. Find out why you missed on Jack Prescott. Instead go. of just going, well, we missed, and it's not my fault because of – no, no. You, you just have to figure out why you missed. Why why you couldn't – because finding any quarterback that can actually start and play well in the NFL, even for five games, even for a year, is rare. It's not something that – it should. it's not a common occurrence, so – I would just say that guys like that are like that. Austin Allen is another guy. I'll just, you know, the last guy that kind of, he hit, he's a little on the low end. I mean, 
he's he's completing about 63.6% of his passes, and he's also has a three-to-one touchdown interception ratio, which is above average. It's not way above average, but it is above average, at least today. So that is a uh, – he's actually similar to Dak Prescott in terms of that because Dak Prescott was one of those guys that kind of hit all that stuff too but uh, wasn't, like, incredibly a way above average in terms of those types of things. But I just throw in Austin Allen because I like the tape with Austin Allen. I think he's, uh, I think he's better than the other Allen, and uh, he I think he oh. shows we- <laughs> good slow things. Well, even preseason, you know, I, I, I talked about what I had heard and spring ball and things like that, and what I had noticed right away was a better athlete. I didn't realize he would be this much better as an all-around player and quarterback than his older brother. I mean, no offense, Brandon. But uh, to me, it's pretty clear who was the uh, the better prospect, the better quarterback, the better, I don't know, whatever term you want to use. He, it all seems to, all the check marks in my mind seem to, seem to end up in the, uh, in the Austin uh Austin the Allen. Allen brothers and the Austin Allen uh, right. column. His column seems to have the right, right. the advantage. Uh, the things that I noticed, in addition, to, you know, obviously, the most obvious thing being his ludicrous level of toughness that we kept seeing, you know, evidenced just repeatedly, time after time after time after time after time. Uh, he seems to have a pretty good idea. And once again, this is where the people who like to throw up, throw up scheme at you, he did show it is a scheme that does require you to anticipate certain things and uh, read certain things both before and after the snap and, you know, make some decisions that are different from or different from that are in the hands of the quarterback in a way that they would not be and, in fact, just could not be in an offense like the ones we were talking about with the, the guys that, Place or Leach or people who have been influenced by Leach, the very structure of the offense is built around you not having to make too many decisions because it slows you down. Decision-making is the enemy of speed and the enemy of things that are replicatable and to some extent automated. Like they, they do want to be automated to some extent in the way certain things happen in their offense. And right. that can't happen. That can't happen if oh, no. a, a guy drops back seven steps, seven steps, <laughs> seven steps, and you know starts reading out what's going on all over the field. No, but um, but yeah, he was he's there. The underperformers are guys yep. like again Deshaun Watson, you know, who last year he had a really high touch and interception ratio, but a relatively low completion percentage. This year, it's the opposite. He has a okay completion percentage, but he has a 2.57 to 1 touchdown and center ratio, um, which is kind of, you know. Uh, but, yeah, he's he's one of those guys that kind of fits in that category. And Brad Kaya, too, is a guy who has relatively high completion percentage, but 2.5 to 1 touchdown and center ratio. Just ain't cutting it at this point, at this level of uh, play that that's that's not as high as it needs to be in terms of a guy who's uh, not throwing too many picks. 
got it. Anybody else looking extraordinary in terms of how they stack up with the other people in your position grouping based on the kind of work you do? Is anybody else who's great or close to great based on market share and things like that? Right. Well, at the running back position, which we'll shift gears, I guess, to that, um, because there isn't that many people, but there was uh, five running backs who hit the level. I was actually surprised. But then again, I only did the uh, Power Five and the AAC. I'll be doing the other ones later because it just, again, it takes time to do all this stuff. But, um, yeah, so but when it comes to the Power Five, at least, and that sort of thing, Christian McCaffrey, of course, number one, you know, with 42% total offensive market share which kind of debunks sort of the no, – it doesn't really debunk anything. But, you know, again, it's it's pretty much the same, actually a little bit better than last year in terms of his market, total market share. Dalvin Cook is there, which that's obvious, you know, in terms of uh, his impact at Florida State. Jamal Williams is here. And Justin Jackson from Northwestern is here. Now, I don't quite see Justin Jackson as a – I kind of see Justin Jackson as kind of a poor man Pumphrey, actually in terms of uh, what he can do, because he's a guy who kind of makes you miss, but he doesn't quite have the same amount of um, breakaway speed, I guess, in terms of uh, his mm-hmm. game. Uh, and right. he also looks kind of size-wise similar. But these aren't a bad bunch of running backs. I mean, Jackson, I think, is, is solid. Jamal Williams, I think, is really good. Dalvin Cook, really good. Christian McCaffrey, really good. And Fournette is just with injury stuff. But, um, but Fournette and Cook and... Uh, McCaffrey were all guys coming into the season that already hit the special market share production stuff. So it isn't that surprising that they're here again at this point. So, um, so those are kind of the guys there at wide receiver. I've, I've seen some of these guys. I haven't seen some of these other guys. It's, it's a, like I, I've seen uh, it's a towel, you know, the Syracuse wide receiver. Mm-hmm. I think he's he's uh I think he's solid. I just have issues with his with his route running. He kind of makes some iffy decisions at times when it comes to running his routes into coverage and uh, that sort of stuff. But he is good after the catch. He can break tackles and stuff. Um, Noel Thomas is another guy who kind of hit that. I've seen his tape. He really isn't that great. You know? So in terms of just what he brings to the table in terms of uh, routes and that sort of stuff. Uh, Cortland Sutton is a guy that I I really – my big issue with Sutton is just that he's the type of guy where I really like him, but there's just stuff there from a route running perspective that needs to be cleaned up. You know, he he can do – what he's really good at is glide manipulation. He's he's really good at getting wide receivers – to kind of go where he needs them to go and then break. But his breaks are not the most – they're not the cleanest, you know, not the most clean in terms of his breaks at times. And he oftentimes tips off a lot of what he does too at, at times. Uh, and I think some of that's just because there's kind of a limited amount of stuff he's doing in SMU. But I just think if he put a little bit more effort in his releases and those types of things, he'd be able to get more separation. Because there's times where – he does the sort of tread well 
sort of stuff where he's just going to catch the ball no matter the fact that the cornerback knows what he's doing. But I just don't think that that's a sound strategy in the future. Like, you need to at least be trying to be a little bit more deceptive when it comes to uh, to all your patterns, you know, not just your intermediate or your double moves, you know, um, which I think that's just my only thing with Sutton. But he is a very talented player. Austin Carr is here, too. Uh, we already talked about him. Uh, Malik Turner at Illinois is – under, is an underrated guy that people sleep on. Kevon Lucas is here, which nobody talks about either, but he's a guy I was I was a big fan of, you know, going a while back. Uh, Isaiah Jones from East Carolina is here. Yep. Shelton yep. Gibson's here. Isaiah Ford's here. A lot of Isaiahs, actually. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie's here. Uh, James Washington's here. D.D. Westbrook. Chad Hansen from California. Brian Switzer, Seth Collins, Amara Darbo from Michigan is here, um, who is a guy that, again, he, he's better than Jehu Nessen, Chesson, you know, he's, he's better than him. Uh, he, he's just better breaks, better intensity in what he does. He's not a great wide receiver. Uh, I think there's some things he could improve on, but I, I just think he's a, a more, uh, he just has a little bit more oomph to him. Uh, Fred Ross at Mississippi State is there. Jester Way at Pittsburgh is there, and he's kind of a slow possession guy. Uh, Josh Reynolds at Texas A&M is also here. And I know people, some people are in this Josh Reynolds bandwagon sort of stuff, which I mean, he's again, I think he's a good wide receiver. I just don't think he's that, you know, I think he's like a great, great player, but he's a good player. He's a very good player, and once again, a guy who has a chance, I think, to be a terrific, you know, number three wide receiver at the next level, sort of in the mold of, you know, better than guys like Buster Davis, but sort of, uh, let me see, better, let me see, better comparison. Uh, I guess sort of in that, you know, he's much smaller than Brandon LaFell, but, but sort of similar in where I think he might settle in. Right, right, right. So, I mean, that's, that's sort of the stuff there. Tight end-wise, there's actually quite a few productive guys. I mean, Evan Ingram, of course, you know, he's the guy who's leading, you know, Ole Miss's uh, wide receiver core. Uh, I kind of see him as a wide receiver. But as a tight end, he, he, he fits well within the bounds, even though he isn't quite that. Jake Butts, obviously, here. Uh, Wake Forest is tight end here. Uh, all right, there's a bunch of guys. A bunch of these guys I actually haven't seen yet in terms of uh, a UMass tight end, George Keitel at Iowa, Jordan Atkins at Central Florida, Troy uh, Fumagalli, Wisconsin, people like that. Um, the one guy who's not here is O.J. Howard. So, um, which keeps the question of who is O.J. Howard, which is a question that you should probably start asking because who is O.J. Howard? Like, where is O.J. Howard? What is O.J. Howard? Because I don't know. He's a, he's a he's a mysterious stranger type of tight end. He just shows up, does a big play, and then disappears, you know. So he's the one guy that I, I really don't quite under uh, understand at this point because I, I, I think there's stuff there. And as I told you before, tight end is as much about physical 
characteristics, six foot six, 260 pounds, you know, massive run, you know, like it's as much that as it is actual production, you know, so you'll have guys who were barely did anything, but because they're six foot six and 270 pounds and are these beasts of athletes, they can find a place. Not all of them do, but some of them do, you know, and and they usually play basketball really well as well, which is why everybody gravitates to that. But uh, I I think that, uh, that when it comes to OJ Howard, I, I just quite don't know what he is. I mean, I, he, I know he's a tight end, but he just isn't as productive as he should be considering where he's playing. Um, and at the linebacker position, I think, you know, we already kind of went over a lot of those guys. Uh, but at the edge position, this is this is another weird thing what I was telling you about with the linebackers, in that there's guys who are, who are productive, who hit all the sort of measures. But I saw the tape, but I didn't quite like them that much. You know, I, I, I wasn't quite blown away or taken with these uh, types of players. Players like Derek Barnett or Jordan Willis at Kansas State or T.J. Watt at Wisconsin or Demarcus Walker at, at Florida State. Uh, I I just was – or Jimmy Gilbert at Colorado or Takeris McKinley at UCLA. Like, I've seen these players, but I wasn't blown away uh, or taken with their uh, – play i am excited about the fact that there's some guys here i haven't seen i mean uh obania you know the oklahoma uh pass rusher uh is is a guy that's here and there's also a guy at oregon state who's here whose name i can't i i don't i'm not even going to try to say his last name because uh, it's really kind of you know it's it's unique but other than that i i just i'm not really the, the edge class is something that there, there's guys that are productive, but from watching the tape, I just don't quite see it with a lot of these guys, as special players at least. So that leaves us with the rest of the season. For me, a lot of that we sorted out, uh, thankfully, beginning as early as this. In fact, in some cases, before this, this date on a calendar, you heard the term meaningful baseball. Mean, not so much with, with football. I think people just sort of looked and said, okay, 1,062 years. I can't seem to completely shake the habit. But you have one person who literally, you know, looks like you stepped out of you know, another era. That's a lot better way of describing it. While, as I mentioned before in my conversations, that, uh, you know, they just are not uh, there. I mean, a vast majority are simply not there. They're not receiving a level of situa- or situation regarding their service where they are wondering or hoping or wishing. But what I can do, as I mentioned previously, for those who truly want it, I'm more than willing to uh, take incoming calls or what have you if someone needs help. But I also won't have it, you know, being abused where I'm being asked things, you know, hours after you, you did stop writing. Well, well, you know, even if you get very little out of the uh, the interaction, it's a great time to find out.
Okay. Jumping back over to, or at least a moment of defense side of the ball. So I now do a separate slot corner ranking so as to differentiate them from, you know, those that do have to make their living out on the, you know, the field within a field. But are there any things that have jumped out with you at all? I know you said the linebacker class thus far has been, you know, your least favorite stated in multiple different ways. But any players, uh, any um, places in Arkansas, one, uh, that probably could come with a question. And then obviously as well, how many of them, you know, that you may have you know, gone there for your hair or your Navajo or whatever, all the things that potentially could come into play, how many of each of those things were things that they, uh, you know, that you observed or that, I mean, there's no Tim Tebow, obviously, and you know, most of us won't, you know, won't, uh, most of us won't, I mean, it's not worth dealing with, but sticking with the, the slot corners and slot receivers, who are the ones that you think, based on first year, came the closest to great players, even if they might not have achieved greatness? Who are the guys that maybe, you know, get the, you know, the trophy for, for 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 good effort, but who 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 are your guys, your particular players in those positions? Oh, at uh, at slot corner. Yeah, slot corner, correct. Slot corner and and your slot receiver, slot receiver as well. So the oh, sort of match okay. set, yeah. Um, Shadobi Awuzi, Colorado. Oh, yes, Awuzi yeah. is, is a is a really good slot corner. Um, yeah, he's explosive. He's a, he's a decent overall playmaker as well. Um, J.D. Harmon at Kentucky has been a guy that I saw early in the season. He made some pretty interesting plays and then kind of disappeared a bit. Same things with Joshua Holsey at Auburn is another one of those guys that I, I saw at kind of slot receiver who kind of did a, a decent job but also kind of disappeared at least towards the middle of the season. Um, who else? Yeah, so I mean, there's I haven't really been, as you know, I I should separate slot slot corners from other corners, but I, I I normally get too caught up with just like going through a bunch of corners and not pay attention that much. But at least the guys that I just mentioned, those are, those are the types of guys. In terms of slot wide receivers, I think this is a this is kind of where the strength of the wide receiver class is, is guys like D.D. Westbrook, Ryan Switzer. Uh, Malik Turner and Isaiah Ford, Isaiah McKenzie, um, like all those guys are really good slot receivers. Um, they're guys that I think will hold up a little bit better inside. And so far they've shown to, to be the strength of the wide receiver class. I think there's this is a stronger slot, cor- uh, slot wide receiver class than it is any other type of wide receiver class um, in terms of, you know, the X or the or the – the I, I you know again my my uh, wide receiver rankings are you know Batman wide receivers Nightwing wide receivers Robin wide receivers uh, because Nightwing Nightwing wide receivers are like the number two guy uh, who could become Batman at some point you know they could but at this point they're kind of that second guy and I I think in terms of this class the Robins are the most prominent the slot guys those are the guys that you know are are the most uh, 
the most fun to watch and, and the most uh, you know, productive, at least up to this point. Guys like Westbrook and Switzer have been very productive players. Same, same thing with Ford and, and uh, McKenzie. Okay. Um, any other surprises in terms of thus far? Once again, I know we're only, you know, just moving past the halfway point. But in your opinion, are there any other surprises amongst the players? Once again, could be positive or negative that we haven't discussed previously. Somebody who oh. is way better than you know expected, or like I said, in the, in the reverse, somebody who's not producing, not playing, not whatevering at the, the level that previously had been expected. And obviously, well, particularly, mm-hmm. I would say the the one guy, actually, the two players I don't get is what, how I would put it. I don't get Lowell, Low Lochulele, mm-hmm. and I don't get Jerron Jones at Notre Dame. Oh. I don't think, think Lochulele should deserve any first-round buzz. I don't think he should be considered anything but a three-tech who has trouble getting off blocks and being really productive and penetrating into, into, you know, into the backfield. He is miscast because he's, he's like the Kendiche of this class. He's kind of an undersized nose tackle playing that position, which isn't always the best situation. But I still can't take that as an excuse um, because he should be more productive than he is already. And tape-wise, it kind of shows up some of his issues in terms of not having a ton of really effective pass moves and not really always being the most stout against the run. And with Jerron Jones... I don't really care if if you are a really big player who gets an interception in coverage and you look nice doing that, do that all the time. But don't tell me that this guy all of a sudden is going to be a first rounder or a day two pick when he's barely, he's one of the most insignificant players at Notre Dame's defense. Like you could, he's one of those guys where if you go to take a bathroom break during a Notre Dame game, you'll probably miss him because he's barely on the field and playing and doing anything. And I just don't understand why guys like Lotsy Lately or Jerron Jones especially continue to get this buzz of being first-round players or second-round players when nothing on tape and especially production says that it warrants that type of attention. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to really study this lately. I, and I guess to a lesser extent, uh, I've seen Jones, but he, I haven't seen the the things that people, other people have seen. I guess that's the best way to put it. I saw a guy that did show some lower body pop and explosion, and that's basically the only note I have on it. Um, I'm sure there's more to him, but I I just haven't witnessed it yet. But, uh, yeah, and this is anyway. And that's another player I guess I'm going to have to make a few more of. I haven't, as the old thing goes, you think a guy's, you know, a, a first rounder, particularly an early first rounder, don't even tell me his name, don't, you know, don't tell me his number or whatever. Don't, you know, I shouldn't have to look for him. He should make me see him. And the one thing I'll say about both of those guys is neither of them has forced me to notice. I've watched Notre Dame. I've watched Utah. I haven't had the, oh, my God. Well, there he is again. Like, that hasn't been my experience regarding I, either of them. 
So that much I, I have exactly noticed, or have not which noticed. is why <laughs> which is why the notes you had on Jerron Jones pretty much <laughs> I have looked lately. A little bit of lower body pop, and that's about it. <laughs> a little bit better. I mean, he's a little bit better than Jerron Jones just because he plays more, but um, mm-hmm. there's just there's just not much there other than just an athlete, you know? Right. Well, there anybody – I mean, we talk about Kaiser, obviously, but is there anybody else on the other side of the ball who – falls into that where the, the love and attention is inexplicable when it is connected with or, I guess, disconnected with, I guess, with the actual play of the player? Uh, for who? Oh, I was saying on the other side of the ball. On offense, how oh, many players well, where? Well, you know my attention. love. And, yeah. Well, you know, you know my yeah. love and admiration for Mike Williams, right? I mean, I just think oh. he's the next coming of Jez Bryant with a sprinkling of Calvin Johnson. Like, he's probably the most dominant wide receiver I've, I've ever seen oh. up to this point. Well, you know, Jimmy's surrounded by other elite-level wide receivers, and that's why he's been putting up dominant uh, statistics. Well, he hasn't really been that dominant. He's right now he's about twenty-two percent market share, which ain't thirty percent, which is where he needs to be. You know, other than the really big game he had against Auburn, he's kind of petered out since then, which is interesting. He has essentially become like a third wide receiver. Yeah, a possession. I mean, a red zone guy, you know. Um, right. Like the guy, the Indiana wide receiver that I always forget. Uh, uh, oh, Hardy. His name. Yeah, James Hardy. Remember that James guy? Hardy. Um, I do. It's not not it was the huge. same situation. Yeah, he was huge. Uh, red zone target. Uh, fancy football guy. What was his name? Michael Fabi. Yeah, that's the guy. Said that. You know, I should pick him up. I remember you. I remember that. Uh, it wasn't good, Michael Fabiano. You know, just right. throwing right. that out there. Well, here's the funny yeah. thing. He lost his job to an undrafted free agent from Florida named David Nelson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I and I don't think he's that bad. I mean, Mike Williams can do certain things. But is he a Mike Evans? Is he the second coming of whatever? No, he's a big possession receiver who doesn't high point the football that much. Some of that's probably because of the neck injury, you know, not trying to be as risky. He's gotten a little better as the season got on, but I just don't see an incredibly dynamic player. I don't see a very deceptive guy. I just don't see a really great wide receiver, you know, and no matter how much people say, no, no matter how much I criticize them and the response I get in, in, in – the thing I get in response when I criticize them and I show things is he's still a beast, though. So I just give – I'm giving up. Like, I'm done. Like, I just <laughs> – I try to tell you, 
you know, one time, you don't really listen. I tried to tell you two times, you don't really listen. And then the third time, you say, but he's still a beast, though. I'm, I'm done. That's that's it. I'm I'm not going to try anymore to tell you not to like Mike Williams. So. But I, I just don't think he's quite the guy that people think he is. No, I agree. Um, I, I like him slightly more than you like him, but I still see him as a possession receiver. I see him as a guy who is played very tentatively, and once again, I do believe it has something to do with a, a scary injury that he suffered. Um, he, he, I mean, like I said, he's much more like David Nelson than he is like, heck, even punches, I guess. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm trying to think of other oh, yeah. comparisons I've seen people make, but whichever one of the comparisons you'd like to, you know, highlight or or bring up, his play, and to a lesser extent, his athletic testing, are, I think, a lot less like the players that people think he's like and much more like players who have been, you know, mid to late day three to, you know, priority and draft free agent kind of players. I don't think his play nor his athletic testing thus far or recently uh, matches the, as you said, the you know, sort of the love, the attention, or whatever you want to call it, that has come his way. So exactly, exactly. So there's there's him. Um, other guy, which I like to play this game of pick that mock, where you look at a random mock draft and <laughs> you see who they got. Um, and then you wonder about how much tape they watch versus talking to people, which is not a bad thing. It's not, you know, again, uh, if you mm-hmm. talk to people, they usually will tell you who's good and who's not uh, most of the time. Right. Um, but there is a bit of that sort of uh, thing where they, where they could be lying to you, you know, um, which they don't even realize that they lying to them. Let's see here. So we got Ruben Foster to the Titans. That'll, you know, the eleventh pick. Of course, Ooh. Steve. Ooh. That's, that's that's really high. Uh, let's see what else we got here. We got Deshaun Watson to the Chicago Bears. That's that's gonna work out. Um, maybe. Maybe it's not the worst. Look, Dallas to San Diego. I'm sorry, San Diego. Um, let's see here. Marcus Williams to Washington, really? That okay. Uh, Chad Kelly to Arizona. You know, because Bruce Arians loves character guys now. I I didn't know that, Bill, but he <laughs> people that have character issues, Bruce Arians all over those guys. He can't get in. He can't get enough of these character guys. Oh my, Bucky Hodges to the Bengals at fourteen. Wow. What? <laughs> Did he get a, a a what take? Right? Um wow. I don't know guys. I don't know if that's gonna that's gonna work out. Um, oh they got Dewan Smoot to the Packers. Which that's a little <laughs> high. Uh, the Ravens get Royce Freeman. Royce Freeman's not bad. I like Royce Freeman. Um 
I would rather take offensive linemen than whatever. Um, Desmond King to Cleveland. Not bad. That's not yes. bad. Yes. That's actually getting him that. a good pick. Oh. Uh, Charles Harris to the Falcons because they're elite now. And, oh, Mike McGlinky to the Philadelphia Eagles. And the second choice would have been Cordrea Tankersley. Okay, Tankersley. Because people can't get enough of that Tankersley. They got to have him. Gotta have. And that's another cornerback that I, I just don't um, don't really uh, see because he doesn't have very good hips, guys. Like, there's a reason he's playing shuffle bell. There's a reason because his hips aren't really that great, you know. Again, when it comes to cornerbacks, the hips don't don't lie. Um, and Jonathan Allen goes pretty high. I like Jonathan Allen, but I, I'm not quite as um, that enthused. There's actually a lot of defensive players being taken this line, so. Not time of offense. Bucky Hodges is probably just the most egregious. Like I, the tape I've seen of Bucky Hodges this year, um, it's not like the highlights I watched. <laughs> Definitely, it's a, a lot of not being able to block as a wide receiver. Yep. A lot of not having being the most consistent in terms of catching contested passes, which is what you're going to do a lot as a tight end guy, and not a lot of impressive lower body strength or just that sort of Gronkowski, Kelsey, you know, type of power to his game. That ain't a first-round pick. That ain't a second-round pick. That ain't a third-round pick. That ain't even a fourth-round pick. That's not even something that you should even consider, you know, thinking about. Here's the thing. thing. I mean, I understand that just, you know, this time two years ago, he was a a guy, you know, on the quarterback depth chart or whatever, and they have converted him over. And now, you know, this junior, he whatever. Despite his size, he still has a lot of quarterbackishness to the way he approaches playing the game. At least as far as I can tell. I mean, I I've obviously derided. I mean, he's cost the team some scores in the red zone with his inability to, to seal and, and, uh, and set the edge on offense. I mean, guys come upfield, they beat him, you know, whether you want to speed the power. Bull rush, he can be bull rushed, unsurprisingly. He can be beaten to the inside, he can be beaten to the outside. And, other, and sometimes, on rare occasions, he can literally, you know, almost seem to have not, been aware that he was supposed to have been blocking on some plays. Like, I'm I'm pretty sure that that guy was your guy. You know, I mean, it's cool that, you know, after he blew past you, you decided to go ahead and run a little curl route, but, you know, if your quarterback is on his back, he's unlikely to get the ball. It's hard to, yeah, it's hard. It's, yeah, it's not, it's not that. Yeah. It's not good. Um, he's probably one of the lowest rated headings I've done so far. Um, and he's a guy who catches passes, which is, you know, bad. I mean, there's guys who don't even catch passes that are higher than him. So, um, one interesting – and another funny thing, uh, apparently Marquise Haynes plays at North Carolina. That obviously is a typo, but um, Marquise Haynes is apparently in the first round. He plays at North Carolina. Plays at Ole Miss, people. But 
Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So I would just say a lot of lazy, as you know, Bill, I'm not really into the mocks. It's, it's just I, more so I like to do a mock every now and again, but I'm not right. into the every week doing a new mock sort of right. mode. Because I'm the weeks way I away from do doing my first mock, but yes, exactly. And I haven't even done my first mock yet, you know, because I haven't seen everybody yet. So why would I do my first mock? So, um, yep. but yeah, I, I just think that there's, I, as you know, I, I just don't like this sort of like every week a different mock or something different or something, you know, changed because that's not how my mind works. Usually if I like a guy and I've seen the tape and everything else like that, that doesn't really change much and normally when guys rise at the board on mocks it's not because they got better or did something you know incredible or it's usually because you finally watched them is why you were they were at the board <laughs> and that's something that just irks me a little bit i get a little you know like this is all just a game isn't it you know sort of feeling of like the only reason that guy was as low as he was is because you didn't watch him now you watched him now he's rising up the board when i think if you're gonna do a mock i know it's pretty and sexy to have like a thousand players on your you know your ranking sheet or whatever when you should just be truthful and just say hey you know only have this many players because this is how many guys I've watched, you know? So, but yeah, that that's my only, only other thing about marks I don't really like is those types of things. But, yeah, Bucky Hodge, it's like I uh, – anyways, um, so that's all I would say. Not a lot of offensive players that – it's mostly quarterbacks and stuff like that, which I don't really fault people too much for doing because it's quarterbacks. Like, that's supposed to – you're supposed to overhype those guys. So, um, but I, I do think eventually – Guys like Mahomes will, and even Trubisky and Luke Falk too. I think those will be guys that will start to rise a little bit as people get to. I mean, they're better than Chad Kelly guys. I'm sorry. Like, there's, there's no. I, I, I've not seen a tape of Chad Kelly an entire game because if you only watch the first half, yes, I would agree. But if you watch both halves, never seen an entire game of Chad Kelly where he rose above Mahomes or he rose above Luke Falk in terms of his consistency as a starting quarterback. Yeah. For me, the concerns are as such. The quarterback class we've discussed many times, the the players you feel the best about are guys who – have a lot of maturing to do either physically, mentally, or in some cases both. You have people who have sort of, you know, done the standby your man thing with Kaiser, and frankly, I do sympathize. Uh, I think their, their coach from Go has been less than completely invested in the non. Not very supportive. Yes, exactly. That's right. <laughs> Yes, that's a good way to put it, yes. You, sir, are on your own. <laughs> and if anything happens, and he's, potentially... He's become, the, he's become the mad the madman on a ship that just starts killing people and looking for witches and stuff. Like, it's he, he's become the inquisitor, if you will, you know? Like, that's what he's become, and it's not a good look for the program at all, you know? Right. 
like we shouldn't have witch hunts. If you're a coach, you shouldn't have witch hunts, hunts, you know, on your team. That's not, that's not something that's going to work out too well for you in terms of morale, especially. That's the biggest issue at Notre Dame is morale is at an all time low. And every week it gets worse. Mm. <laughs> hmm. Well, the thing I've noticed, expectations, I think, play into it. I think if a team was on exactly the same schedule with exactly the same results, but you move some things around in terms of when they happen, I think things would be different. I think a lot of times when teams come right out of the gate and lose two or three back-to-back, coaches tighten up, people are coaching, quote-unquote, to save their jobs, which, I mean, I'm saying it never works because it worked for Tom Coughlin, but it rarely works. But the class of, of interest to me, because for the reason I don't hear it being discussed super often, so for me, when I take the defensive backfield class as a whole, corners and safeties, there's not a lot of names in the top 100, which is a little bit surprising uh, because, as I said, you know, when I started looking, you know, breaking out some rule books and breaking out some uh, books on, you know, how to represent you know, this type of yardage versus that kind of yardage and making sure that, you know, the tricent, not tricentennial, not quite that far. No, good Lord. Uh, the bicentennial materials were out for the founding of the area and things like that. But the when I look at classes that I think have maybe even just a handful, but maybe four or five of those players perhaps hopefully emerge and they're being buried in the, you know, the whatever, the hole. But even for those, for the, the players I think are perhaps in the most difficult situation of what we discussed and, you know, what their, you know, the team and everything else is saying, said, has said and maybe is continuing to say, you know, hats off just to the to, to playing quarterback in that kind of mess. I mean, much as I love this thing, it would be difficult to conceive of going through what he's going through and, and having people try to tell you to, you know, basically shut up or whatever you put it when whenever he raises his concern. You know, hopefully resolved by now. But in terms of things that I think are more, you know, pressing on the docket, whatever. So as I mentioned the last time we spoke, Texas Tech has a new football uh, stadium or whatever, has a new place to take pictures at least with it. And there's a picture, I think, somewhere of the piece of saw they brought from the other uh, game location, whatever. But the well, the point is that here we are. As you know, are aware, I think ratings are coming out soon, right? I mean, the actual, you know, the what do you call it, the uh, what do they call it now? The um, 
Not, oh, the, not uh, the election? The, you, mean the, you mean the 2016 election? Is that... No, I mean... Or, the, uh, poll data? About, yes, yeah. I was talking about, the. I believe, the first set of 25... Oh, top 25 for the... Uh, oh. Oh, yeah. What do you call it? The, yeah. That's coming out. The, yeah, so I thought. Okay, so... The Condoleezza Rice right special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I personally don't like when they... I know why they do it. They do it to build hype. They do it to build excitement. They do it to do all that stuff. But I would just like the rankings to just come out late, you know, like have mm-hmm. like a Christmas thing, you know, like here's your present, the rankings type of thing for the college football playoff, you know, that type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Because I don't know. I mean, I'm not the, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm that cynical of a guy. I, I just think that the college football playoff is a little biased against certain teams that, you know, that mm-hmm. play for certain conferences where, they have people on the committee that actually were part of those teams and conferences. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I that will come out. That will be interesting. But I think we already know who's going to be on it. So um, right. it's a lot like uh, standardized testing. Like you do standardized testing to find out, you know, all you really find out with standardized testing is that the good schools score highly, bad schools don't score too highly. You just spent all a lot of money to just find out the same thing you knew at the very beginning, which is that the failing schools are not doing too well and the good schools are doing well. So it's kind of like that. Like we know Michigan State's going to, you know, we know how State's going to be there. We know Alabama's going to probably be the top team. We know Clemson's probably going to be in there. Uh, you know, uh, Washington, that might be the surprising thing. Do you think they'll put Washington oh, boy. really high? Or do you think they might throw some shade out of Well, I know the the campaign was impressed by the way they handled Stanford. I think they will get votes everywhere. They'll have, you know, one of the more interesting sort of spray patterns. Only the bet they'll have votes from as far away as, say, yeah, overseas, and then amongst those in the Great states, uh, I think, you know, Chessier, Chessier. I just convinced two players. Maybe they'll be able to get those trademarks. But uh, it's always hard to say, but I, I think that expectations have run amok, and I don't think they'll be able to reach them. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, Clemson. Yeah, I think it'll be, I think the top four will be Alabama. Mm-hmm. Ohio State and that fourth team will be huh I mean, that would be Washington's shot yeah that would be Washington's that, shot that that hole that gap that, that, that they don't like Bailey they don't like they, they don't what <laughs> they what, do what is known is if you are if your name is not Oklahoma, then they don't like you in terms of Big Twelve teams. So I don't think they put Baylor there because they have a history of not liking them. And right. plus, there's the right. sort of the media stuff adds to that in terms of you know all the 
sexual stuff. So, like, that also will add to stuff. So, yeah, I, I really, uh, even though I think they might deserve to be there at the fourth spot, I think mm-hmm. that there might yeah. be too many forces against them um, because of uh, seeing where they play and who they are and stuff like that. Um, and they're not Oklahoma. That's the biggest thing. They're Oklahoma. Definitely, they'd be there. So I think, honestly, I think Washington would be the fourth team. Because why not? I mean, if they put another Big Ten team there, like say they put Michigan, like say they put Ohio State, Michigan, and Alabama, Clemson, people would be like Big Ten bias. Like that would be sort of the the <laughs> thing, which would be funny because I thought it was the SEC bias. That was the Big Ten bias. Okay, but yeah, I think. I think they'll probably be pretty even kill and have Washington as a, as a fourth, but I'm still a little. It, to me, the, Washington beat Stanford, but if you actually were watching Stanford, you would have seen a, a, li- a little bit. You saw some of the cracks. You saw some of the. None of the Pac-12 teams have really put up dominant performances. Even Washington, I've never seen like a top to bottom dominant sort of thing. And I know they beat Stanford in a really crazy fashion. That was just because Ryan Burns was as bad as he was. Like, if, if they had a competent quarterback in that game, I think it would have been different. Um, but I just, I don't know. As you know, Bill, I'm, I'm just not a big believer in the Pac-12 this year at all uh, in terms of talent. Like, I think some of the Mountain West Conference teams could beat the Pac-12, some of the Pac-12 teams, or a good portion yep. of them um, this year. So, Like San Diego State, Washington, that would be mm-hmm. pretty interesting. Yes, you know, that'd be an interesting sort of you know game to watch. Yeah, that game particularly, in particular, seems fascinating to me. And as they say, football will be played. Who are some of the other players, program, whatever, uh, that you've identified as surprising, either negatively or positively, and, and you know, what what are the things that drew you to them? Or repulsed you if it was negative? Right. Um, Boise State. Now, I know Boise State is Boise hey, State, hey. but... I think they are one of those teams that has continued. It's funny, you know, Chris Peterson left, so there was a lot of, like, can they keep it up? Is this going to be the same Boise State type of, you know, the whispers, the talks. Mm -hmm. You know, when Chip Kelly left Oregon, is this the end of Oregon? Stuff like that. Um, And there was a little bit of that Boise State. But they've kind of bucked the trend. They've consistently been, you know, they've consistently been, the best is not one of the best Mount West Conference teams, uh, and they keep that up this year. Where it, it they, I like the team top to bottom. I think their quarterback is a guy that has a legit arm, which is always fun to watch. I think the wide receiver core is nice. They definitely the the line is where things get Mount West Conferency in some ways in terms of their offensive line, but I do think that the, the skill position players are decent. I think defensively they're they're fairly well-rounded in terms of what they uh, uh, accomplish. So I was, I was surprised by uh, them. In the ACC, 
North Carolina State, I think, is is a a rising uh, force, if you will. I was really impressed with the defensive players they had there. Uh, you know, they had a safety there and a pass rusher there, and you know, Chubb and uh, uh, I think Josh Jones, I think, um, who were yeah. impressive there. And offensively, they haven't really lost as much of a beat. You know, you know, they lost. Uh, you know, they lost a quarterback to the to the uh, Patriots, and yeah. they're still still working. You know, North Carolina State's still chugging along. Uh, I think Matt Days is, is underrated back, and uh, I think that overall, it's, I think that's gonna be a program that might take down somebody. They, it's one of those pro, it's one of those teams that I think might get a win that nobody expected that they would get that win. Right. right. You know, where they might be a Clemson or they might be a, a Louisville. Uh, or they might be like somebody like that because right. they do have the goods um, in terms of uh, offensive, in terms of defensive linemen. They got a little bit of that and offensive linemen too. So I think they're a lot better than people think they are, and I, I think they might surprise some people. Yeah, that's, there's a little more to do and <laughs> agree on that particular one. Uh, if you are a connoisseur of body lean, if you are a connoisseur of, you know, those guys who will just, hey, I think it might, I might see three yards there. Let's see if that's what that is. And, you know, it takes them right into the defense. And the best of the best know how to do that without taking, you know, the, the dead-on shot that might be the one that ends your career. And obviously the guys who are less good are not always able to avoid that. But uh, let's spend a little time on the running back class. I found that there was a huge number of running backs that I'd given at least a, you know, uh, you know, above the 50 percentile, you know, in terms of some of the things that they could do physically, like you said, because of the ability to drive the ball down the field, but then average to below average and literally everything else. And you know, I would imagine that the number of available headaches or expenses, whatever you want to call, but to me, I don't know. Well, so let's see. Place kickers probably won't spend any time on. Punters, uh, probably not. Um, so we did talk about the malign tight end class. So amongst the, I guess, hey, since pass rush is so, so, so darn important, Based on the numbers, Jeff, based on, you know, the first half of the season, who are the best of the quote-unquote edge players, pass rushers, whatever term you want to use, who have been the guys uh, thus far? Well, keep in mind, I'll say say the guys that hit every – they hit the solo tackle stuff, they hit the sack stuff, they hit the TFL stuff. Okay. doesn't mean I like them. Because some of these guys, I've seen the taste, and I'm just not that enthusiastic about, which, which I'll get to that. But the guys that hit the, the marks, Derek Barnett, Tennessee, obviously, Jordan Willis at Kansas State, T.J. Watt at Wisconsin, Demarcus Walker at Pittsburgh, Ewan Price, uh, Ewan Price at Pittsburgh, sorry, and Demarcus Walker at Florida State. Uh, oh. Bonia Akoranwu at Oklahoma. 
Um, not really sure how to say that right. But there's a pass rusher at Oklahoma, so uh, who kind of hit everything. Uh, Hassan Reddick at Temple. Uh, Hercules uh, Mata'afa at Washington State. Bright Agwobu at Oregon State. Jimmy Gilbert at Colorado. Josh Allen at Kentucky. And Takerist McKinley, who I don't think he's British, but that'd be a really good British name for yeah. If he was British, Kickerus McKinley, you know that type of thing. But that's that's really it. Those are all the guys that uh that hit all the all the solo tackle marks, the sack marks, KFL marks. You might be going Miles Garrett. Where's Miles Garrett? Where's Where's Miles Garrett? I, I don't really care that much about Miles Garrett because he already hit everything last year. Um, so he already hit all the production stuff last year. So even though he's having a little bit of a of a down year this year, a lot because teams are game planning more for him. I don't quite consider that as bad. I don't, and it's more so in line with, like, I don't think Miles Garrett is, is going to be a, a truly dominant player, but he, I think he's going to be a very good player. Um, so, but I, I just would say that his production with Garrett has been less than spectacular, um, but it has been spectacularly well. So um, there's, that's kind of there. But, yeah, there's there's guys there. And for the most part, all the guys that hit the, the production standpoint stuff this year are guys that I'm really not the – I have more day two grades on these guys, day two, day three, on most of the guys here. And some of the guys I just haven't seen yet. So um, so I can't really comment on a couple of the guys here. But, yeah, I'm not um, – I don't know. It's kind of odd. That, the half season. I hope the full season might help fix some of this. But uh, right. at least right now, there, there's there's not a lot of uh, guys that hit all the stuff that I really like. And as much as people want me to like T.J. Watt and that there's a contingent of Wisconsin fans, which Wisconsin Twitter, you guys are like the mafia, man. Like, you you really <laughs> go after people um, with they don't like a player. If you say Melvin Gordon was bad, like the whole – like, they find you, man. Um, and – Watt seems to be kind of one of those guys, too. You know, there's there's a lot of contingent of people that are, like, really big fans of him. I know you mentioned him previously um, just because he's a rising name, obviously. I mean, his last name's Watt, and he's getting sacked, so people are going to uh, pay attention. But I just wasn't – I didn't see a particularly explosive player. Uh, I, I I felt like he was uh, explosive. I felt like he was a smart player. He's a tough player. But I didn't quite see a the type of athleticism of a, of a special player, and I didn't see the uh, total instinct package 100%. But he just was a little off. He, he looked more like a contributor, like a guy that is kind of like a number two pass rusher, sidekick kind of guy, more so than uh, than, a, than a special player. So I. I, I don't know, but I know that there's a contingent of uh, Watt fans out there. And Demarcus yep. Walker is someone I'm also a little torn on just because he's the type of guy, the game where he had three and a half sacks, literally, Bill, it was swim move, 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 didn't work. And then the second half, it started to work miraculously. The swim move started to work, and then he started getting penetration. He started getting in the backfield. So I, I will give him that. I will say his persistence is 
is really good. But I, I didn't, I just didn't see a very smart, you know, uh, pass rusher. You know, I just saw a guy that was just kind of getting upfield and getting upfield and getting upfield, not changing things up, not um, trying to vary moves, uh, not, and it didn't have a really effective bull rush too, which is something that if, if you're a six foot two pass rusher, I'm not going to say I'm biased against you if you don't have a really good bull rush, but you got to lead with, for me, I, again, if you're that type of guy where you're short and you don't have really great length, you need to have that bull rush to be the main cog because that, that's something that's going to work more consistently than a swim move, which isn't always going to work if you don't have that length and you don't have, um, that, uh, that, that power too. So I just felt like because Walker's best pass rush move was the swim move and based on his size and his, the way he should, he should win versus how he wins. I, I just, it was kind of turned off by him. Despite the fact that he hit every single number in terms of production stuff, but I, I just didn't quite see a very uh, great player, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to watch another game of him, but I just didn't quite see all the goods with him. 100%. In fact, the only guy here is Juan Price. You know, he's the only guy that, based on what you see athletically speaking, yeah, he looks like Darren Sproles playing edge, but he plays it pretty well, and Darren Sproles wasn't a bad player. So, like, uh, yeah, there's a there's a bit of that to him as well. But, yeah, not a lot of, like I said, not a lot of guys. Again, the guys I haven't seen is the Oklahoma pass rusher, the Temple pass rusher, and the Oregon State pass rusher. I haven't actually got a chance to check out those guys, so I don't know how good they are or not. I just haven't seen them, but um, but everybody else, I, I wasn't that enthusiastic about. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I guess we'll, we'll we'll get moving towards it's not the absolute end, but the trial, the, and that's what we're talking about. Really, the, the, the looking at the halfway point, you're, you're looking at a trial for the full season, what the full season might look like. Now, obviously, injuries will happen, and coaches will get fired taking you know the scheme. With well, not with them. I mean, usually the, most teams just retain with a few minor tweaks. You haven't said that before. It costs the fumble, but um, in just terms of the players with the greatest amount of production, regardless of when it was, where it was, how it was, things like that. Uh, so your your most improved. I'll start with that. Instead uh, of saying rookie of the year, so who was your most? Uh, uh, or and you can go with the first, second, if you want to, uh, players in this particular draft. I mean, at that position. So if they were in this particular draft, how would you have them ranked and why? The most improved? Right. That's the start is, and that's regardless of position. Uh, so, uh, so you have right. you know, one, play, yeah, one, one player. Could, it could potentially be the same player. So that's allowed. Hmm. Hmm, interesting. Most improved. Huh. Hmm. 
amongst the tight end class, is there a guy who, even if he hasn't done a great deal right, know, right years right. or whatever, but, uh, but you know, something could happen. Uh, great combine, whatever, whatever, whatever the things are that set off guys who are quote-unquote climbing, what would he have to do, and how far do you think he's from being able to, you know, step in there and start? You mean in terms of uh, of guys in the NFL, or do you mean in terms of like college football? Yeah, so we're looking at the the halfway point of the season, or so, or we did, and now we're breaking into how they got there. So, oh, if you're, okay, I got you. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of get, yeah, I, yeah, I kind of get it now. Um, most improved, I'd say Dalvin Cook. I know it's a cop-out oh, wow. answer, but, but yeah. Cook at the beginning of the year, um, wasn't patient, uh, which was a virtue of his. Like that was something that was kind of always there last year, and at the beginning of the year wasn't there. Um, he was kind of trying to bounce stuff outside all the time. He was, he just was playing like a player that wasn't letting the game, I know it's a cliche, but letting the game come to him. He wasn't really doing that. Um, he was kind of just thinking like, I got to get the edge. I got to get the edge. I got to get the edge without actually taking the time to set guys up and taking the time to follow, you know, follow the line blocks and, um, and, you know, just trying to make a big play every time. But as the season's gone on, um, he's gotten more patient. He He's gotten more um, collected in terms of, you know, what he's trying to do. Um, and I, I think that – I think he's the most improved. And I know people are like, what, Dalvin Cook? But you, you got to watch Dalvin Cook from the beginning of the year to now because he's, he's really taken a 180 in terms of – how he was playing at the beginning of the year versus how he's playing now. Because right now, he's playing like one of the best running backs in college football. Um, at the beginning of the year, I had doubts about that. I mean, there were there were some games where I, just based on what I saw, I, I didn't see a day one you know, running back at times in certain games I saw at the beginning of the year. So he's really kind of, kind of, and some of it's his fault, but he kind of got back to the guy that he, that he was, which some people thought was lost at the beginning of the year which I think is kind of why he's the most improved, even though he probably has the easiest, you know, way of improving. I mean, he's Dalvin Cook, so it's kind of like, well, of course he's the most improved. But, like, I just think at the beginning of the year, he, he was just not playing like the Dalvin Cook that we all thought he was, and then he finally started getting it going towards the towards this part of the season.
I remember seeing what's often mentioned as the usual suspect. So the well-traveled quarterback who was big, not to say you, but big, big in arms, neck, chest, thighs, just it. What are you doing back? Okay, well then let's not <laughs> turn the page. Uh any of the the games on the docket that are coming up in the next uh tomorrow, uh what games stand out to you and why? Still there, Jim? Well, it looks like it may indeed have lost Jim, so it might be an opportune time uh, to recap. Uh, we touched upon a bunch of different groupings and the uh, players who we thought were maybe uh, not receiving enough attention, some might be receiving a little too much attention, and uh, what backs that up, whether it be something in the metrics, whether it be something in the uh, the player's production or lack thereof in, in some cases. And I was mentioning that amongst me, you know, me, someone that I had been essentially told to, you know, step back and watch. And this person, you know, established themselves as a you know, top 50 type player. And those person's played well, and I'm a fan. Wayne Gallman is, to me, looking like one of those backs who is the the less sexy of the of the two options in somebody's uh, really great like committee system, some kind of time, some kind of place, some kind of where for someone. And not that that's the worst thing in the world, but, you know, it's not the thing that, you know, makes my heart go pity pat. But, is he a, a talent? Is he, does he have a place somewhere in the NFL? In my opinion, the answer is yes to both. Uh, but just not someone I would mention the same breath with the the others. And though uh, someone was saying, you know, first three rounds, 
It's certainly not beyond the realm of possibility that Goldman still in the first three rounds and might even be the first taken of all of the uh, senior running backs. I'll touch on wide receiver. There's a lot of receivers out there, and yes, very few of them really you know, jump off the screen at you. But somebody who certainly did catch my attention and, you know, gets that, you know, study them more check mark. Well, one of them is a guy who's kind of a favorite of Jim's, Shelton Gibson, West Virginia. Uh, also, I have of late uh, done some watching of Courtney uh, uh, Sutton's just a sophomore, so, you know, moving the circle back around next year uh, category. Uh, Thomas Spurbeck, and he gets mentioned on this show occasionally. He's better than, well, the vast majority of you think he is. And, you know, Jim was sort of joking about the white receiver spectrum that goes from uh, Jordy Nelson to uh, to Wes Welker. And obviously, he's not that much like either one. I guess he's sort of in between. Uh, he does have some qualities from each one. And Terrific player. Uh, other guys worth mentioning, at least in my opinion. Someone who I've noticed and once again, Brad Hustle, but only to come out as junior is Alonzo Staggers, Southern Miss, sort of filling some of the holes that were open when some of the guys moved on. Uh, Jimmy Williams, East Carolina, the other guy in East Carolina is somebody that, in my mind, my opinion, very much worth watching. Mentioning that I haven't mentioned yet amongst the receivers. Uh, I mentioned Shelton Gibson, one of uh, Jim's favorites of West Virginia. Another guy who, you know, can win with him with quickness. Even though he's not very big, a little tougher, a little stronger, I think, than some people might anticipate for his size. Uh, Josh Reynolds. Good player. Jamar. Oh, here was somebody that I don't think gets mentioned enough. Big body, not terribly sudden, not a great runner of routes, but like so many of the guys who is his size, really wins with size. Uh, definitely worth mentioning. And I think Jamar Staples is a chance to, to help himself. His partner in crime, James Quick, another guy that I think finds his way, you know, onto somebody's team and stays on the roster for a very, very, very long time. Another draft eligible I've just started noticing very recently, uh, recorded in Louisiana Tech game just recently, got around to watching it. I think Carlos Henderson has a chance, and of course, I hope he takes the school, but he has a chance to turn himself into a top 100 player as well. Probably not this year, uh, especially not this year. I hope he, like I said, I hope he stays in school. Uh, last couple of guys, I believe I would be a professional malpractice kick in if I didn't mention them. Um, Tim Patrick, another not super sexy, probably not going to jump out of the gym or, or set the world on fire with that leg twisting, but smart, knows how to find the open spots, uh, has a lot of the qualities that I think most teams seek. Once again, more of a fourth-fifth receiver, but I believe he really contribute on special teams, a uh, guy with, like I say, you know, good football IQ, certain amount of toughness, strength, etc. So, uh, do want to thank Jim. We'll do a preview show 
right before kickoff of the, the games tomorrow. Uh, once again, I do thank you for your time and talent, your attention. We will do this all again in one week. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.